Welcome to Late of the Rings, a podcast dedicated to Lord of the Rings, the card game. My name's John, and here's my co-host, do not take him for a conjurer of cheap tricks, it's Emery. <laughs> and yet again, I'm trying to help you, John. <laughs> I'm not trying to rob you. Yeah. Well, where's my wallet? <laughs> no, I'm trying to help, just trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, um, we're recording again on schedule. And um, yeah, and I'm very pleased about that. But um, yeah, it's good. And uh, have you been up to anything nice in this short time away? Oh, goodness. What have I been up to? Well, um, again, not to dwell too much on the whole coronavirus thing, but yesterday here, they opened up the shops again. And things like, you know, the hairdressers so you can get a haircut and all the rest of it. No, it hasn't made any difference to my life. I've not ventured <laughs> not ventured out yet. I got used to living this kind of underground life. Yeah. Apt for this podcast, I think. <laughs> so that's good. It's, I think things are starting slowly to get better. But uh apart from that, what have I actually been up to since last time? Not an awful lot, really. Um I've been uh, make some more music, oh, yeah. and it's still not fit for human consumption, I'm afraid. So at some point, at some point, I'll present something as a promise, stroke threat I, I was, to the listenership. I've been uh, slowly rewatching um, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, I'm sort of doing it very much in like oh an hour here, an hour there, and I just watched the part in uh, in Minas Tirith with Denethor. With Pippin's songs not being fit for his halls. And I had a little chuckle when I thought of you. <laughs> Are you. Do you know what got me about that? That song was clearly fit for his hall. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's nailed yeah, that, he, hasn't he? he really did. He, he hit it out of the park, didn't he, that one? So apparently, so again, this is my knowledge of the DVD feature extras. Mm-hmm. So apparently he wrote that. Um, song. Well, Denethor. Did old, um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> From his third album. <laughs> what could this album be called? The Journey to Despair. I don't know. It's <laughs> or Songs for My Halls. Yeah, Songs for My Halls. Volume one. That very nice. <laughs> um, Deck the Halls. <laughs> That's his Christmas <laughs> album, clearly. Um, he, yes, apparently he, um, he wrote that. As did, I think, I hope I get this right, I think Viggo Mortensen wrote the one which he sung as well when he gets um, coronated the king. Coronated? Is that the word? Crowned. Oh. Do you get coronated? You have a coronation. Do you get coronated? It sounds wrong. It doesn't sound right. I don't think I've ever, I've never heard that word before. That does not necessarily mean it doesn't exist. The bit he got kinged. <laughs> um, yeah, he sings a little a little song. I think he made that up as well. And I think there's another too. I think if I remember this correctly, I think three cast members actually kind of were given the task of or volunteered to write their own little Did, bit. Oh, I'll tell you who. It could are have there been. not enough songs in Tolkien's work? We went over this last episode. No, no, no. But okay, wrote the melody. <laughs> oh, okay. The actual tune. He didn't write out the musical notation. Can you imagine? Oh my God! Can you imagine if Tolkien did his his own version of musical notation? That's just opening a whole can of craziness right there, isn't it? Goodness. Um, I think the other one may have been 
I'm only saying this because it's a song I can remember from the film. <laughs> Perhaps Eowyn's song, mm. which um, I think she got some stick for her voice, but I love the way she sung that. Oh, yeah. At, I thought at, she was awesome. At the funeral of Theodred. Yeah. I love awesome. that. She belts yeah, amazing. it out. It's all very quiet and somber. Yeah. And then from nowhere, she just goes, boom. Yeah, she's gone full Aretha <laughs> Franklin. No, I think it's more like some sort of metal. Like you always say, like Rohan are, are into their yeah, heavier the stuff. Better rockers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raw, yeah, it's, gutsy. It's a, she won't be able to sing when she's fifty because both very guttural. Okay, very guttural. Yeah. No, I genuinely just, love it. Yeah, so do I. I was really perfect, wasn't yeah. it for for that? And in fact, that was a really beautiful line from the film, which I noticed got used in a bunch of other things afterwards. Which was, you know, that bit. Where it's a re- that really beautiful scene when it's just Fairden and Gandalf, yeah, and he's talking about how he's let down his forebears or or, or whatever, and then he says, uh, "No parents should have to bury their child." Yeah, uh, I love the fact that when he says that line, that's what triggers him off yeah. crying, basically, you know, rather than being all big and tearful beforehand. That was either really well directed, stroke acted, or whoever was responsible. That's fantastic, but I noticed that that specific line got used in a bunch of other things, including I remember having uh, happened to catch an episode of popular British daily soap EastEnders, <laughs> which I don't even watch. I just happened to be somewhere when they were showing it. And they used that line in EastEnders. This poignant moment. It's like, hold on a minute, you've ripped it off of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and I know I saw it a couple of other places. That got me thinking. I wonder whether that was originally from Lord of Rings, actually, or whether it was for somewhere else. But I'd never seen it before. But anyway, long story short, I thought that's a very poignant moment. It's very beautifully done, I think. Yeah. So you've been so you've been making some music then. Yeah. <laughs> I was just right there thinking, how did we get onto this? And I, I clawed it back. I clawed back the memory from uh, a couple of minutes ago when you said you've been making some yeah. music. And you've been watching Lord of the Rings in in small parts. Well, actually, in real in time, re- <laughs> you're going to take thirteen months <laughs> to the day. Uh, please don't include the flashback scenes, or you're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you watch the opening bit, then wait one thousand years. <laughs> um, well, what have I been doing? I mean. A couple of weeks ago, I started preparing my garden for spring. And I don't mean like gardening. I mean, I don't do that bit. But I mean like uncovering the furniture where I'll be no, sitting no. to drink. No, 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 wait, no, hold on. How could you have made... No, please, please continue, please continue. <laughs> well, well we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had weather here of, well, 20 degrees, 22 degrees. Um, that's Celsius for our American listeners. People are going there. <laughs> that's freezing <laughs> what's that like 70 or something in fahrenheit oh it something must like be that? at least <laughs> it must be and um and it's like oh this is gonna be very pleasant and we had a good couple of days of that and since then it has done nothing but a rain b sleet c snow <laughs> <laughs> obviously <laughs> How have people not learned this? Okay, right. This is what happens. This is what happens here anyway. You have winter. It's rubbish. It's cold. It's wet. We don't get like even decent winter. We don't get like 
big snow and you know so you can do all the fun things generally a bit naff and then what happens it starts to slowly get a bit better and then it goes back into the and then suddenly you'll get this beautiful day few days or a <laughs> week whatever it is you think and then it's the typical thing i think it's a british mentality ah oh, springtime is upon us let's wear our shorts and t-shirts and go outside and let's uncover all of our garden stuff and put it all up but every single year you get that nice bit of weather and then you get the last bite of winter comes back one more time and everyone every year goes where did that come from <laughs> and do you know what it is do you know what it is to use lord of the rings as an analogy you know when gandalf the famous you shall not pass mm-hmm. and he breaks the bread balrog falls down i'm talking about the film obviously not, not, not the book and off he goes down into the pits end of balrog yeah springtime is here <laughs> and then suddenly out of the dark he just flicks that whip up whoosh, it goes around Gandalf's ankle and then brings him down that is the last bite of winter coming back for spring so wait for that then announce that spring is here and get your um yeah but you won't because nobody does no better no, no. no instead all I've been doing is staring out into the garden looking at my furniture getting snowed on <laughs> Going, yeah. well, that's probably why I covered it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, it is, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shock, isn't it? <laughs> big, big fat snowflakes as yeah, well, yeah, aren't yeah. they? They're massive. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? Um, but uh, but so how has how, your rewatch been? Have you been enjoying it? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and have you been watching... So you've been watching extended yeah, version. Yeah, extended version. Well, actually, it was uh, when I started Return of the King, which was actually I, I've I've really only been dipping in and out. I must admit, um, I, I but I started watching Return of the King, and I got quite far in. You know, um, Faramir had returned to Minas Tirith from Osgiliath, and it was like, well, okay, well, the uh, Battle of the Pelennor Fields is coming up any minute now. I hit stop for that session. I still had. Three hours and eight minutes remaining. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to consider that an hour of that is a credits at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I did one of those stoic things when I first watched it, which is like, I'm I'm gonna watch this all the way to the end, including the credits. So you're sitting there and his credits come for an awfully long time. You're thinking, Jesus, like the whole soundtrack yep. is like condensed yep. into the credits. And then they have a thing where where they have every single member at that time of the Tolkien fan club yeah. would get their name in the credits. That's only on the extended editions, but oh my god! Well, goodness. obviously, <laughs> that's the bit that extends it the most. That's 35 minutes of footage right there. And I was just w- watching all these names. I remember I was watching it with my dad, because he was a bit of a completist about it as well. It was way back the first time I watched it, the extended version. And um, we just end up playing games <coughs> about people's names and what names were going to come up <laughs> there's going to be a con there's going to, how many cons are there going to be four it was six <laughs> you know that's how ridiculously bored we got watching the grand well, you can play <laughs> some we watched pretty it. good drinking games with that oh my god i love where your mind went straight there you're so right you kid <laughs> how long does this drinking game last 45 minutes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness so you got another couple of weeks of that no but i am enjoying it i mean it really i mean this is the 20th anniversary of uh the fellowship of the ring the film obviously oh crumbs are you you, you serious i'm serious and it is 
super impressive how well these films stand up. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, yeah. You think, I mean, what came out in 1981? And you think... (laughs) Okay, that threw me. (laughs) No, but that's the difference in time, obviously 20 years before, you know, the advancements made in that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I didn't want you to list every single film that came out in 1981. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it really has. I think one of the things, I think we might have talked about this way back when, is, you know, I think generally we're not huge fans of CGI uh, as a rule. For, but, you know, if it's used correctly in, you know, the correct context and all that, it can be great, you know, and, and sometimes it's the only way to really pragmatically solve a problem. I think they really kind of nailed it. Yeah, I think they just really got it. They, I don't know what, you know, because CGI technology has obviously come on leaps and bounds since then. There's something about it which still kind of looks more real yeah. than some of the newer stuff, which is really odd. And maybe it's, I think it could be to do with the way they keep the camera more still mm-hmm. rather than have it. You know how a lot of people try to hide CGI by shaking the camera around and da 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 I think by not doing that, I think it kind of works better i don't know i'm not an expert yeah, now, but I, I also I, think, I think it is a blend of how they use the cgi along with practical effects they don't just go yeah, full on right. we're gonna make this whole scene cgi it's like i always because yeah. i again what going back to those uh behind the scenes discs from the that original dvd i remember one very clearly about Orthank and how they built that all as a model and even it was all a model when the orcs had turned it into kind of the factory, the Uruk High factory, and then they. Oh yeah, and all <laughs> factory, <laughs> Uruk High factory, and then t- they had all that scaffolding and all the the fire pits where they were making the right. armor and and uh, breeding the Uruk High, which is a you know artistic license which will allow. Peter Jackson on that one, and that's all. That was all a model when the Ents attack it. In the with the the last that's right. the last march of the ends, yeah. um, that that's all that's all a model. And I remember, you know, when they break the dam, and yeah. all the water comes in and basically floods Orthanc. Well, I remember, and, and I apologize if this now ruins the scene for you forever. But I remember they showed <laughs> they said <laughs> they showed how this is done, how they get that water <laughs> effect with miniatures, and they use salt. Oh yeah, I think I saw. Yeah, I think yeah. I saw that. So they yeah. use tons and That's tons so and tons of salt because it really looks like foaming water when it pours. But now it still looks like foaming water to me. But then every so often when I'm watching that scene, just little thoughts in my head go, "It's salt! It's salt!" And I go, "Oh, I can see it's salt!" And now it goes back to water again. Um, but it, it's still it's beautiful because there is that sort of mixture. They didn't use real ants. <laughs> no no ends were harmed in the making of uh... so obviously they're all cgi but it all blends brilliantly together you know and also i love yeah. that I, there's one bit in that in that scene which stuck with me from the moment i saw it in the cinema to every time i rewatch it is with where there's an ant that's on fire there's someone on fire and he sticks and he puts himself out yeah yeah that's about my bit i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> it's awesome isn't it? <laughs> What am I going to do? Oh, it's water here. <laughs> Put myself out. Cool off. He he really caught fire quickly. Yeah. For an old wood ent. <laughs> wood, wood ent? What other kind of ent? Um, yeah, I generally love the ents. I love all of the, I love all the scenes with the ents, including, and that, that whole thing of, yeah, I think you're right. I think 
building all those models, doing that thing of, you know, people took the mick out of it a bit where they really went overkill on things like people who just made chain oh, yeah, for two yeah. years. And, and, you know, I actually think that somewhere on some subconscious level, all of that stuff adds up. I think so, indeed. I think it absolutely matters. It absolutely yeah, matters. That well. the, 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 the whole ethos was that they didn't want anyone watching this film at any point to be able to say, I've got one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Even a horse. And that could have been anything. <laughs> a bit of clothing or a goblet yeah. or a table. Everything had to be unique. And yeah, absolutely. So when you're watching it, it helps. I think also it will impart something on the people involved, not just the actors, yeah. but the people making the film as well. That you know, you're creating this fantasy world and you want it to be as real as possible. It has to be real. Yeah. You're watching something real. And they totally succeeded in that. And I think I remember um again Viggo Mortensen talking well, I think it was Peter Jackson talking about him, that the way that he really got into the character was through his sword. Yep. And apparently he used to go everywhere with his sword, like <laughs> restaurants and things. His sword. Oh, you bring that in here? Well, I'm acting in... <laughs> okay. And he used to have it in his front seat of his car, apparently. just It's a genuine sword. But because it was so amazing yeah. and so real, it just was a real beautiful sword. Um, you know, obviously he connected with that. Yeah. And that was a way for him to characterise himself. So, So... It absolutely does make a difference, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I absolutely adore the level of detail they went to with uh, creating all the sets and the props. And it, it, I mean, actually, when I started the rewatch, one of the first things that struck me, because I hadn't rewatched it for years, actually, but one of the first things that struck me was the, were the costumes. And it just blew me away because, I mean, it's this oh. new transfer of the film that they've done, and the detail is exceptional. So, oh, you're watching that one? Yeah. The, um, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, it, okay. So, uh, yeah, it just blew me away because, like you say, you see all the chainmail. And because we know the history that all the chainmail is handmade and all this, it's like when you first see Boromir and you first see Aragorn and their costume wearing and the level of detail and you know what's been put into it, it, yeah, it just elevates it above everything else. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's certain, you don't have to do that for every movie you ever make, right? I think there's certain ones where, if you can, you should go to that yeah. to that level. This is certainly one of them because it was so delicate. Yeah. And I think to do anything less than that would it's just going to in some way just cheapen it. I think they didn't leave any stone unturned, and yeah, it meant that they made it as best as they possibly could have. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's you know that's what they saw their mission as. I think, which is fantastic. So Ooh. yeah, good good film. <laughs> I won't ruin the end for you. Keep on watching. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, so, what else you got there? <laughs> no, well, you know, I've been playing a bit of the game. And, um, yes. Well, actually, no, before we get on to talking about our podcast and the game and the adventure that we're going to talk about, I would just like to say that this episode, more likely than not, just sort of looking at the date now and how long it will take, to edit and get released will be our anniversary episode oh yeah right so how about yes. that oh god where's that year gone oh yeah don't start thinking about that this was meant to be a uh, celebratory uh, statement <laughs> what have you been up to the last year no oh that's fantastic we'll have to have a late of the rings cake 
<laughs> I don't know. Cake of rings. Nice. Um, yeah, so I just thought I'd mention it. I mean, there's not a lot we could oh, do. So, not a lot we well, could do ha- to celebrate. <laughs> Happy birthday to us. <laughs> um, We're not 11 to one. We're just, just one. Not even 71. We're just one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, if, if you have been listening for a year, thank you ever so much for your support. And uh, well done for sticking with us. And um, and here's to the next year, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to yeah, thanks to our listenership. If you have stuck with us, that's a. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, watching the movies. <laughs> the credits. It's gonna keep on going. Um, okay, moving on to today's episode. As we mentioned last week, the next three episodes are all going to be quest episodes. So. Uh, we are going to start talking about the quests which come with the first deluxe expansion, which is Khazad Doom, and that first quest, which is Into the Pit. So if you are avoiding spoilers or if you haven't played that yet um, and you want to wait until you have, until you hear our thoughts on it, probably best just to skip this entire episode. If you don't mind spoilers or you have played it, we're going to start talking about it from uh, from now. Well, guess what I have with me? You've got the insert. It's the insert sheet. But this is a different insert sheet to normal. This is the deluxe expansion. Larger insert sheet. Got a bit of weight behind it. Yeah. (laughs) It's not messing around. Uh, I think it's probably just worth just having... um, I mean, it, it does have the normal kind of insert stuff about each quest. But it has got just a little bit of text beforehand about some new things which come along in this um, deluxe expansion. Well, I think well things that affect the game. I think just going forward generally. Okay. Um, so yeah, it might be just worth having a quick look through. Yeah, this. jump into it. Uh, it's just broken into a couple of sections, and the first one is just a component overview. So what do you get in a deluxe set? We went over obviously most of that last last week. Um, but then when it gets interesting, there's a little section called Rules and New Terms. Oh, yeah. This is right up my street. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the John section of the uh, insert. Okay. So the first section under that is, or subsection is, Encounter Cards with Actions. Mm. So it's Encounter Cards with Actions. So it says, An action on an encounter card in play can be triggered by any player following normal restrictions on triggering abilities. So we've seen actions already uh, on uh, hero cards, say, or on um, allies. Well, all player cards, yeah. yeah. And I think all this is simply saying is that there are actions which you do see on encounter cards I'm, for I'm, the first time. I'm deep in thought now. I'm trying to think where they go. Yeah, I know. So same here, actually. I was like, was that not not something that we had before? Or is that... I guess it's just pointing it out. Yeah. It's probably, you know, it's no... It's, Shouldn't, yeah, if you played the game already a few times, you probably wouldn't even notice this mm. suddenly turning up on encounter cards rather than just yeah. player cards. But just making the point, you're going to see it any come up from the encounter deck. Well, I guess forward. the difference is that an action, even though it's on an encounter card, would be optional. You, yeah, you, pl- all actions are optional. Yeah, right? so you could play, you could choose to play an action which is on a encounter card, which that definitely hasn't come up before. It says, yeah, following normal restrictions on triggering abilities. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Okay, and then the second one is last player. 
some cards refer to the last player. The last player is considered to be the player sitting directly to the right of the first player. If there is only one player playing, then that person... And this is the important bit, really. You can always figure out who the last player is, you know. Um, if there is only one player playing, then that player is considered both the first and the last player. Yeah, okay. So any cards which say the same to the last player, that is, if you're playing one player, that's you. You're the first player, you're the last player. Simple. Yeah. You, you, you probably figured it out, but it's just worth yeah, it. I, I love the idea that there's some guy out there who all the way through the first cycle has been referring to himself as the first player whenever cards have targeted the first player but then as soon as they see a card that says the last player go wow who's that and that guy's name is jeremy (laughs) (laughs) it's done it again (laughs) and then the last one is immune to ranged damage and actually this talks about hmm, a, a very specific card and maybe it's actually worth not mentioning this now because this is a bit of a spoiler. Okay, actually. then skip it. That's fine. So I'm going to skip it. Um, yeah, because that's not in this first quest, is it? No, it's not. And again, this speaks to that thing of I don't like finding out about this stuff by reading an insert sheet. Yeah. You know, I don't like when it gives away what's going to happen. Sure. In the it's not a big deal, but you know, I think it's you don't need to read it. I mean, it's called immune to ranged damage. Yeah. Um, So, in fact, if I just skip the specific bit, what it says is immune to range damage means that characters participating in an attack via the range keyword are not able to deal damage to that enemy. So, it's just exactly what it says on the tip. Yeah. A particular enemy, you know, can be on any enemy. If they're immune to range damage, if it says on the card, guess what? Yeah. So, that's all all it says. So, they're all really self explanatory, Mm -hmm. I think, but it does, you know, call them out specifically here. So, um, so what else do we have on the insert sheet? It says expansion symbol. Ooh. The cards in the Khazad Doom expansion can be identified by this symbol before their collector number. And there's a picture of a double-sided axe. And it's that really tiny little um, uh, symbol you get in the bottom yeah. right, which I think we mentioned ages ago. You know, we've seen the core set ones had that kind of, was it like a star? Yeah. Or no, a ring, a ring, a ring wasn't yeah. it? And I think for the first cycle, it's that little round yeah what is it like a star or something anyway it doesn't really matter just to identify which cycle it's from and then and then it says note that the misty mountains encounter set is not used by any of the scenarios in the casa doom expansion but will be used in the upcoming duero delve cycle of adventure packs ah, yeah so you've got a whole chunk of cards which you won't use just in this deluxe but they will be used in duero delve yeah. as it says well see this is interesting. Well, it's, it's not. It's not necessarily interesting, <laughs> but it is. Wor- it is noteworthy. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, because when I first started out collecting the game, I was a little bit confused. I mean, I, I soon found out this information online on the forums and things about how the cycles were built when it came to encounter sets. Like we knew we got a bunch of encounter sets with the core set and those encounter sets worked with the APs from Shadows of Mirkwood. But I, I had to sort of do a little bit of digging to find out, well, what happens after Shadows of Mirkwood? Do all the core set cards go away? And the answer, of course, is yes. So if you are at all confused by this, what happens is when you get to a new deluxe, basically all the encounters you've seen so far, you can put in boxes, 
hide them away until you're ready to play that cycle again your encounter sets start fresh so your deluxe box is basically you'll you'll get four or five new encounter sets and they work in a very similar way to how they work with the core set so you'll be seeing those encounter cards again and again throughout the cycle mixed in with each ap's specific encounter set um so if you are at all confused about sort of how to buy this game you know because not everyone can buy it in order um just note you don't need to buy things in sort of specific release order when it comes to cycles but you will always need the deluxe set before you can play the ap's from each cycle basically yeah and that that was interesting that it's noted because i remember there was being one set that wasn't going to get used in the deluxe and it's like i'm being cheated but of course, <laughs> by by this stage, you're already committed to buying everything that ever gets released for this game. Is that how it works? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's funny you mention that because I actually remember being really surprised when I got to this deluxe. I was like, oh, wow. So this is a whole new thing. Yeah. So I kind of think, oh, maybe so these are self-contained. Is there really kind of continuity? But there is kind of continuity as well because obviously you're building up your stash of player cards yeah. which you read but yeah um yeah when I, I was surprised when i first saw that but it actually works really well once you start playing through it does and also it gives it a lot more flexibility to allow yeah. players to miss an entire cycle if perhaps yeah, it's exactly. not in stock or they're just not interested in going through cards are doomed and it doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to play the game going forward so it keeps right. them self-contained now i had an amazing revelation. Oh, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Do you want to talk about this on air? <laughs> no, I've been playing this game. Now, I, I think when we started this podcast one year ago, um, I think I said I've been playing for about five years. So now I must say I've been playing for about six years. Now, I have all my encounter cards kept in boxes. I keep all my player cards in binders and all my encounter cards in boxes. But I'm even though I keep all the individual sets together, I'm still very particular to make sure that when I put together a encounter deck in order to go back and play an old quest, you know, especially for this podcast, that I've got all the cards. So I have a spreadsheet, which I didn't make. I got it from uh, Board Game Geek. Uh, someone had put this together, which has all the encounter sets listed and how many cards are in each set and I use that and I go through it and I cross-reference and I count the cards and I make sure oh. I've got all the cards and I'm not missing one and it's a little laborious but I am a stickler for those sort of things and this is my revelation if you look on an encounter card underneath that encounter symbol there is a little tiny number and it says something along the lines of seven of 13 uh, as an example. And that means that in that encounter set, there are 13 cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the number at the bottom. I was like, hold a minute. This is in the core set, in like basic instructions, how to play it off. I don't know about this. Surely John knows about this. I, I thought you were talking about that, no. but you're talking about just under the symbol in the middle of the card on yeah, the right yeah, hand the side. Yeah, the actual encounter set symbol. 
Wow. But, <laughs> so if you are, like me, wanting to make sure you have all the cards per an encounter set, well, you can just count them. Well, well, hold, hold your horses. <laughs> Down, Brago. Because. Brago, whoa. <laughs> so, okay. So the first one I picked up happens to be one of 12. Yes. But Seven of nine. That means... Oh, but that means uh, there are 12 unique cards? No, there are set. 12 cards. Okay, so so there's another one which is exactly the same as this card. Yes. Yeah, so if there are three of these, yes. there would be a 1 out of 12, a 2 out of 12, and a 3 out of 12. Yes. Ah, how cunning. <laughs> yes. These people have really thought of everything. Well, apart from they insisted on using symbols for all the encounter sets, and some of these symbols become very, very similar. <laughs> and it would just be very nice if somewhere on the cards they just wrote the name of the encounter set as well. But apart from that, I am very, very pleased to find <laughs> this. It, it's only going to save me two to three minutes every time I play, but that's two to three minutes. Oh my God, this is genius. So each card is completely unique. And what I've also noticed is, you know, sometimes you have the orange circle yep. around the symbol and that's for... If you want to play... I've never tried this. Easy, easy mode, mode, right? Yeah. And you you remove those. Yeah. So this one I've picked up and we'll talk about this card, but, you know, because I looked for two out of 12, which is there, and that one's got an orange mark around it, but one out of 12 doesn't. Ah, uh, yeah. You don't want to make it too easy. So, yeah, that's really cunning. So again, flexibility... Oh, that's a oh, lovely piece of design. Very good. Well, so well thought through, I think. Yeah. I lo- things like that do please me, I must say. Well, yeah, it pleased me immensely. And then I thought, how have I not seen this for the last six years? Yeah, and I wish I knew back. So I had one, and it wasn't, it wasn't this quest. It was a quest from the last cycle where I played the quest, beat the quest, nice and easy. Boom, I did it again, beat it again. Fantastic. Move on. Went to put the cards away. And uh, I've separated out each um, encounter yeah. set, yeah. and I noticed there was one card in there, and it wasn't it wasn't a particularly bad card, you know, just some bog standard kind of location, I think it was. But there's part of your brain that kind of goes, "Does that really count?" You can't <laughs> let it lie. You can't unsee it. No, <laughs> you can't. You can't just ignore it. This is why I count them up every time I play. Well, not not every time I play, but every time I put together a new encounter deck. Put the deck together, yeah. Uh, this this is this is wonderful. I mean, I do feel foolish that, that I've only just noticed. I know there are going to be people listening, going, "Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah." It's a revelation to us. And everyone else is just like, "Geez, Louise, have yeah." We're the people who've, you know, I only noticed that it's got the artist's name underneath at the bottom throughout this where we're making this podcast why have i why didn't i just at any point just look at one card just look at everything on one card you would notice all of this you just small print you just ignore it yeah that's a that's that, that that's incredible that's you know what i've also had a revelation <laughs> so thank you john john forever later it's <laughs> a catchy name isn't it i'm already getting the badges made up yeah <laughs> Right then, um, on that bombshell. Yeah, I can't remember where we were. <laughs> so, uh, I had just read the notes. Oh yeah, so there are encounter sets. So there are new encounter yeah. sets in the Deluxe Expansion, and these are the encounter decks that we will be using throughout 
the next cycle, and one of which isn't used in the three quests that we get with Kazadun. Okay, shall we move on to the quest itself? I think we better. So, okay, I'm turning over the page to get to the scenario overview, which reads, There are three unique scenarios included in the Kazadim expansion. Each is introduced, along with a list of encounter sets for that scenario's encounter deck below. So, what are we doing today? Into the pit. So let us go into the pit, which is into the pit. (laughs) (laughs) Into the pit. Difficulty level five. Hmm. To be discussed. Um, okay, here's the text, the um, flavor flavor text. The heroes enter the mines of Moria at the behest of the White Council, carrying an important message to Barlin. Barlin recently led a group of dwarves back into Moria to establish a colony in the ancient halls of his ancestors. He has not been heard from in some time. Uh-oh. <laughs> it sounds like an ideal job for the guys who they sent off to Dol Guldur a couple of months back. Okay. Um, so then it just tells you which encounter sets are used. Setup. Um, so this is just going to go over what we're going to see on the card mm-hmm. in a second on 1A. But it just says, um, when setting up into the pit, players are instructed to remove First Hall and Bridge of Khazad-Dum from the encounter deck and set them aside out of play. Yeah. These cards are placed away from the playing area and do not interact with the game until Eastgate is explored, which will add First Hall to the staging area. Exploring First Hall, then add Bridge of Khazad-Dum to the staging area. Now, this is... Do we want to... So, again, it's going really specific here, and we're about to come on to this anyway. Yeah, we're about to yeah. discuss this, but again, it's Jeremy. It is, isn't it? It's really spelt out. And, and I, again, I don't like it. I don't like no. the fact. I'm sitting here spelling it out myself on a podcast, <laughs> but I'm assuming that most people would have played this and have come and know what's coming. Oh what's yeah, no, 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 no. We, we, so. we cover ourselves in spoiler warnings. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you don't want to read that on no. your search sheet. You can figure that out from the cards. Just read the cards. Figure it out from the cards read because the cards. it's written. Yes, <laughs> and then guess what? The next one is Cave Torch. Oh no. Uh, well, actually, Cave Torch has a probably... Yeah, yeah go okay, on, well, go on. Well, let's be open-minded. Let's be open-minded. Let's read through, okay? <laughs> so it says, Cave Torch. This scenario uses the Cave Torch objective card. The first player selects any hero to attach it to, and that hero will bear the Cave Torch for the rest of the game. If, <laughs> if, if Cave Torch would leave play, either through a card effect or due to the hero it's attached to leaving play itself, mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. Uh, then it is removed from the game. So that, that proves that when they say it, they're talking about the card. Yeah. Proven. Rather than, rather than the character. <laughs> Proven. <laughs> That's objectively true. <laughs> That's the latest one people use, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I thought you could it was an objective card. <laughs> That's probably what made it into my head. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, uh, when a card is removed from the game, it should be set aside and ignored for the rest of the game. Do not place any removed from game, in inverted commas, yep. cards in the discard pile as effects that bring cards back from the discard pile no longer interact with these cards. So don't put it in the discard pile, remove it from play. Yep. So this is just talking about how to treat a remove from play card. I mean, yeah, I think uh, we kind of know that. Yeah, but we've seen, I do agree with you. I mean, I do understand that there needs to be a bit more fleshing out of the rules 
as the game progresses, especially yeah, through the, the, I agree. the deluxes. But I do feel like we've seen cards removed from play already. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what's important, I think the important distinction for me is just if it's removed from play, is literally removed from play. There's no way it can come back. So even if something's in the victory display, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's not in play, but it's still not removed from play. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So things can still happen. It to is it. possible for cards to come back from the victory. Yeah, display. yeah. So if something's in a discard pile, if something's in the victory display, or if something is set aside, yeah, anything can happen with those. Yeah. But yeah. if something's removed from play, game over. You may as well burn. I just burn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> metaphorically, people. Metaphorically. Okay. Um, and then there are a couple more before we go on to the uh, first quest card. So it says, immune to card effects. Now, I'm not sure if this is the first time we've seen this either, but it does say, the location East Gate has the text immune to card effects. Maybe it's the first time. I can't remember. We've had immune to player card effects. Ah, uh, okay. Right, okay. Right. So it says, immune to card effects. This means that Eastgate cannot be selected as the target of any card effect, and it, and it ignores the effect of any card that would directly, which is in bold, interact with it. Yeah. Okay. The only way to place progress tokens on it is by questing, and once Eastgate is the active location, it remains the active location until it is fully explored. Even cards like there's a card which is we're not going to see until. We go into the uh, <laughs> so, so maybe I no, but is it an encounter card then? Yes. Yeah. So that's basically what it's saying. So we've had immune yes. to player card effects. So we know that we can't, as players, actively yeah, affect that card. Right. But now we have encounter cards that could also affect exactly. it. And and that's this is I think this is probably the first time we've seen that. Yeah. So what it says, I'll just read it. It says even cards like Dreadful Gap, which is an encounter card, spoilers. or Stride, <laughs> spoilers, or Strider's Path, mm-hmm. which is which, yeah. which we discussed before. So as you say, an encounter card and a player card would not be able to move it to the station. Yeah. Yet. Okay. Yeah. So, nice and so, so. I think that probably is worth. Um, I think it is. Out, yeah. To be you just you just can't do anything to this card. It has. Yeah. You have to explore it's it. It's immune. Yeah. Exactly. And then the last thing it says is about revealing enemies it says enemies that are dealt as shadow cards are not considered to be revealed from the encounter deck oh that's okay. interesting because i think that was an early fact actually and they've obviously gone well this is quite important we better put it in in a rules insert and then it does go on to say something really specific about a later quest card as well skip it yeah so is it yeah, super we'll how, it. is it spoilery specific it says, and we can decide to edit or bleep this out, it says, enemies that are dealt as shadow cards are not considered to be revealed from the encounter deck. Fine. Yeah. And do not trigger the forced response on side 2B of the quest card, the fate of Violet. <laughs> so uh, okay. it's just being specific about this quest. So. Um, yeah, but that's not spoilery. It's not spoilery, it but just, I think, yeah, it's, again, it's, you don't want to... I think they could... I, I get what they're trying to do because they're trying to explain the rules and they're trying to put it within the context of what you're seeing on the cards. Yeah, yeah. But I think, like you said before, maybe like a, a micro frequently asked questions at the end yeah. of this document might be useful rather than just spelling it out before you've even played it. You don't want to read it before you've played it. Yeah, you know? a simple start playing now. And yeah, then, yeah. okay, now I put the rules insert away. I start playing. 
Okay, and now I'm confused. I know that there's a there's a frequently asked questions at the bottom of this. I'll have a quick look. Yeah. Or you just have the headings. Like the headings are setup, cave torch, immune to card effects, revealing enemies. So you could just look at the heading that you want. You yeah. know, it's nice and bold. But anyway, whatever. That's just being picky there. But okay. So that's the uh, that is all the insert sheet says <laughs> <laughs> about into pit. All right. <laughs> So uh, I don't know how far into this we are, but shall we shall we read the first quest card? <laughs> Let us venture into the pit. Let's go. Okay, so finally, <laughs> um, card one A, entering the mines, mm-hmm. and straight away you are drawn to a quite spectacular bit of artwork. Oh, there, it's something else, isn't I it? Love isn't that. it something else? Just that huge door. And again, I think this is one of those ones which actually is helped by the monochrome version, in my opinion. I love that. Um, So you see those two tiny figures entering this huge, ancient uh, doorway. Fantastic. In the side of a mountain. Anywho's, what does it say? It says, you have been sent by the White Council to Moria to deliver a message to Barlin and his dwarven colony. No one has heard from him in a while. (laughs) Doesn't sound in any way nothing. It's going to be fine. I heard from him for a while, no, but I I did laugh out loud. It's funny when I. Read Why it. does it say that? <laughs> Just one step. That's all a sentence says. It says you've been asked to go see Dwight. Okay, fine. Yeah, I, no one's heard from. No him. one has heard of him for a while. That doesn't sound ominous. <laughs> um, I will. I, I'm already going to jump in. I know, we're only halfway through side 1A. Okay, go on. (laughs) Now, what I like about this, and I really only sort of clocked this through this replay, is that we have been asked to do this by the White Council. Now, the White Council, I believe, and I, I might get this wrong, that's Saruman, Gandalf, Elrond, Gladriel, and Kirdan. Kirdan's an ancient elf, which I... Th- no, but okay. Well, Kirdan, I think, is... He's like really one of the... He's a real old boy. He's an elf of the West. And he he's the shipwright. Kirdan, the shipwright. And he is the I one who the ushers everyone onto the boats. Greyhaven. The Greyhaven. To the Greyhavens. Yeah. And... um. But that that wasn't my point. My point is not that that's... I believe that's who the White Council are. But what I like about the fact that it's those guys that have asked us to do this is um, when I first played Khazad Doom, I put together a, like a dwarf-centric deck. And in fact, I have done again because we are very much going into dwarf zone. Um, and dwarves obviously do yeah. fare well in the mines you know they're they're all they're, yeah. they're designed to do it and i went very thematic with it when i first played it and i didn't allow just for myself i didn't allow um sort of unthematic characters going into the mines it just i just wanted to play it through in that sort of scenario but actually if you think it through that if the white council is saying hey we've not heard from Balin for a while <laughs> they could be asking this of anyone or they could go themselves. They could go this as well. Actually, Gandalf came with me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it only popped in <laughs> once in a while. Let's be um, 
So, but the, I, I like that, that if you actually think that through, because a lot of people get hung up, it's like, oh, well, why would the elves go into Moria? Or why would even Rohan go into Moria? Well, perhaps that's who the White Council have asked this of. We've not heard from Balin for a while. Could you please go and check it out? You know, so yeah. I think it is still thematic to send anyone into the mines. I mean, Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we'll come on to our decks later I, I i imagine or throughout this conversation but i did do a very dwarf themed deck but i you'll like this i <laughs> did i didn't take navi's belt i took i knew you would no i, I knew it. i took one song as i said i would and i took the rivendell minstrel so having read that even though in my head i was thinking why would a rivendell minstrel go to Khazad Doom. And then I was thinking, well, Elrond's there. Perhaps he's sick of those songs. It's like, <laughs> so Dane, could you take a load of dwarves with you and check out where Balin's at? You couldn't take this minstrel with you. The acoustics would be brilliant in there. <laughs> That's how we sold it to the yeah, minstrel. Exactly. How it really went was Dane was like, so um, Elrond, you coming? Uh, Gandalf? Uh, I'll send one of my best men. Yeah. I'll send one of my best men. <laughs> Bloke comes along with a harp. Oh, God. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> this isn't going to end well. This is still playing. <laughs> well, could be worse. So, could be older. Who's your favourite? Glaywin. Glaywin, yes. <laughs> See, you went up, well, You went 180 on Glaywin. Yeah, no, I love Glaywin. See, his music grows on you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to write you know, big chart smash hits, but his album is one that you, know, you can listen to it time and time again over many years. Turns out I've got a lot of time for minstrels. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> um, minstrels is a, is a confectionery here in the UK, that's what I pointed out. Um, but you're right, though. It is thematic. And uh, in fact, well, maybe we'll come on to that when we discuss our quest. I went dwarf-centric to this time round. Yeah. And I, uh, when I first tried this, well, was, you know, first time I ever played the Kazadum stuff, I tried to go dwarf centric yeah. to be as thematic as possible, and I I kind of failed miserably, and ended up getting through using a non dwarf kind of deck yeah. the first time round. But I've decided to go with the dwarfs. It's always a bit of like an unfunfinished thing in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, because they're the cards you're kind of given in the yeah, cycle, yeah, yeah. aren't they? So and of course, you know, it makes sense. Bash. And of course, the, the White Council would probably go, well, we haven't heard from Balin for a while. Should we ask if these dwarves could go and check it out? That would make sense. But it doesn't mean that they wouldn't also ask some others to go with them. So yeah. I think people should make sure they don't uh, shackle themselves when they're thinking about putting these decks together. Like, oh, I want it to be completely thematic. I mean... You only have to take a little step of the imagination that the White Council's asking this, and it becomes completely thematic. And that was just my thought. Yeah. I just love the language of this as well, which is, you know, <laughs> you have been sent by the White Council to Moria to deliver a message to Balin and his dwarven colony. No one's heard from him in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a setup, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's like, ooh, what could possibly go wrong? Okay. All right. So. <laughs> Let's come to the setup. All right, setup. Setup that was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> search the encounter deck for Eastgate and Cave Torch. Yes. Okay, so you dig them out of the encounter deck. 
put Eastgate into play as the active location and have the first player attach Cave Torch to a hero of his choice. Set first hall and Bridge of Khazad-dum's side out of play, shuffle the encounter deck. So, let's get rid of the uh, first hall and Bridge of Khazad-dum, but let's have a look at Eastgate and Cave Torch. Yep. So, Eastgate first, so this immediately becomes your active location. So you see Eastgate, I think you see the Eastgate there, which looks like a pretty cool dwarven uh, carved doorway mm-hmm. gate thing. <laughs> and it's got seven threat, but it's going to be the active location, so should be all right. But you need seven to get through it. Do you know what? I've never noticed that it had seven threat before because, of course, it's never yeah, leaving the active you? location. Yeah. And why is it never leaving the active location? Because it's immune to plague. No, immune to card effects. Amazing card effects. Full stop. (laughs) And it's of type gate, should point out. Um, uh, (laughs) So there's a gate. It's immune to card effects. Also, players cannot optionally engage enemies and no engagement checks are made. Okay, so that's the critical bit of information really on this card. Forced, after East Gate leaves play as an explored location... Add first hall to the staging area. And it's got a victory point as well. So you see, it's not going to go into the discard pile. Yeah. It's a unique kind of location. You just need to go through it once. So, so yeah, so really important bits of text on that card. So as soon as you get through that, you're going to go to the first hall, which is great. I, I love this already. You took the words from my mouth. I love the fact that this quest starts and it basically says, we have to go on this journey. This, yeah, is, this is the way. This is the way we're going. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's like, I'm sorry, it, I cut you off, but I was very excited. Yes. <laughs> and you're right to be, John. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's such a, a really simple, and sometimes it's the most simple sort of dynamics of this game, which are the most effective yeah. in my mind. And that's just, you get through this location, here's your next one. Yeah. Yeah. Go for that location. Here's the next one. And each one, you know, you're in Eastgate. Players cannot optionally engage enemies. No engagement checks are made. So you're at the gate. Yeah. You're not going to come across any enemies, but no. they could be building up in the background. Who knows what's going on down in the mines? Or they heard something. They're, they're watching you going, who are these guys trying to get through this gaping hole in the mountain? <laughs> <laughs> Seem to be struggling to get through this massive hole. Well, I like it because it's like, for me, this gives the impression you need seven to get through it. Mm. It's like a gate. You go in and it's kind of dark and it's a tunnel which you know goes on until you get to the first hall, yeah. which is what you're going to yeah. get to. That's yeah. what it says here. And, that, and that's what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite, I really love it. It's like it's ominous kind of feeling as you're traveling you know, into this gate and through this tunnel, which is the gate leads into. Love it. So that's great. Great gate. Uh, um, and then the other card was Cave Torch, which, as a reminder, you have to attach to so the first player has to attach to a hero of his or her choice. And what does it say on the Cave Torch? It's of type light. Love it. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Don't know why. It's light. It's good. Um, attached to a hero, restricted. So that's important. It's a restricted attachment. Yeah. So whoever's carrying Cave Torch only gets one more restricted attachment. Only got on one it, more so. hand. Exactly, so choose wisely. Um, And it has an action, which is exhaust cave torch to place up to three progress tokens on a dark location. So you're literally lighting up 
the dark as you're traveling through the mines. But it also says forced. After cave torch exhausts, discard the top card of the encounter deck. If that card is an enemy, add it to the staging area. How wonderful is that? That's so good, isn't it? So you're looking around in the dark. Is there an enemy there? Yes or no? Yeah. If there is no enemy, fine. Get, carry on. You don't suddenly come across another location. Well, I see. Uh, yes, exactly. But I see it like this. So, of course, the action, you exhaust it, which, okay, that sounds a little counterintuitive, but that's just how we trigger cards no, in this yeah. game. So you exhaust you're using it. it. So basically, you're, putting, you're using it. You're, you're lighting yeah. it up. And that, that allows you to progress through the dark in itself. Brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. But it's then, light, type light. Yeah. And then, but when you light it up, of course, we're not talking about enemies just attacking you. You're lighting up, but maybe an enemy can see that light in the distance and is drawn to it. Yeah, exactly. So then they, they, they're, they're massing in the staging area. How beautifully thematic is this one card? Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. So already you can just see the two cards that we have to use from setup. Yeah, thematically, like, perfect. And you're drawn in straight away yep. uh, uh, into this quest. So, yeah, a, a strong start. <laughs> no, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I agree. So, we have this torch at our disposal. We've attached it to one of our heroes. We know we have to get through the East Gate. What's next? Okay, so we flip the card over to 1B. And you see that we need seven progress to get through this card. Uh, and it says, the doors of the East Gate hang crooked on their hinges. Uh-oh. That does not sound good. <laughs> no one's heard from Barlow in a while. <laughs> um, the darkness inside the doorway is still and impenetrable, shutting out the last beams of a sinking sun. That's quite poetic, isn't it? It's lovely. And then it says, when revealed, reveal one encounter card per player and add it to the staging area. Players cannot advance to the next stage of the scenario unless Bridge of Khazad-dûm is in their victory display. So just telling you, the first part of this is you've got to get across the Bridge of Khazad-dûm. Yeah. And we know that that location is not coming next because we read on the East Gate that the next card up is the first hall. So we will presume that the Bridge of Khazad-dûm is coming after the first hall. Yeah. So... Just from that, we know in order to get through this first part of the quest, we are going to have to travel through three locations and put the seven progress on this quest. Yeah. And a quick question on the theming of this as well. So I'm assuming that the east gate of Khazad-dûm, is that that the direction of Lurian? Because that's where the White Council will be. This isn't the gate which the Fellowship went through. They go through the west side. They go through the... Is it, is it map time? Un, in in <laughs> Karadras, underneath Karadras. And they have come down from the north, of course. Hitting the, well, they would certainly be hitting the west. They, would not, they wouldn't be going in from the east. So, uh, yeah, if you think about it, I think probably the east gate is probably i mean there are, i don't know how many entrances stroke exits there are from Kazadum. it's probably the door that the fellowship leave through yeah exactly yeah that's what i was alluding to yeah, yeah. so this is coming the other way yeah 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 because if, if you think about when they get out of the mines of moria uh in, in fellowship of the ring they before long they're into the uh the forest of lorian so yeah that would make absolute sense 
Okay. Yeah, and of course you you, you wouldn't be able to get to the Bridge of Khazad Doom that quickly through the entrance that the Fellowship took. Yeah, so... Well, I'll tell you what, I can't remember the link off the top of my head, but we did mention it in one of our Share the Love um, oh, yes. sections. We do have... The map. What's the map, called? which actually directly relates to the game. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is not very Dot specific. Com. <laughs> <laughs> not, the, not, not the project which tracks everyone from the books, but the one which directly links to this game. And so we will look that up. Or yes. yeah. <laughs> or say we will. Or not. <laughs> right. So quest card 1B. <laughs> so we've entered the mines. So we enter the mines and we have to quest through. And of course we're going to get some locations and we're going to get some treacheries, but we're not going to get any enemies attacking us. Yeah. Well. Except. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had this as well. <laughs> so go ahead. Okay. Yes. So the goblin follower. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So goblin follower has a when revealed effect, which is goblin follower engages for last player. Yeah. So what does Eastgate say? Players cannot option engage enemies and no engagement checks are made. However, you don't need to miss. This is an automatic engagement. Yeah. So when revealed effect. So Goblin Follower, even if you, you've got Eastgate as the active location, this guy can still uh, engage you and you'll end up in a fight. So one to bear in mind there. Yeah. And yeah, I came across that too. <laughs> now, I have a few more things to talk about with the Goblin Follower, but they will come up later. More sort of like little rule nuances. Uh to do with when he will and when he won't engage you. But we'll, that will come up, I think, uh, naturally. Okay, I think <laughs> I see where you're going with that. Okay, all right. So, uh, so yep, yeah, we're playing through. We're getting oh! potentially getting enemies in the staging area, building up. Sorry, I just, yes, just, just, I just remembered. Goblins. There are lots of goblins in this. And yes. There are orcs, and a lot of the goblins are type goblin and type orc. And um, it made me go, well, what is the difference between a goblin and an orc? I see, I just remember that the goblins were sort of Tolkien's preferred language in The Hobbit. He used to refer to all the orcs as goblins, and when he got to Lord of the Rings, they were always referred to as orcs. Um, so I looked it up. And I was right. <laughs> but Tolkien did indeed use goblin, the term goblin throughout The Hobbit and then really changed it. Kind of not really changed his mind, but uh, then started referring to them as orcs in Lord of the Rings. Um, and his take on it was that orc is the elven name for a goblin. And in the, translated into English, the word orc becomes goblin. And he stated that when he wrote The Hobbit, it was written as if it had been translated. So basically, the short answer to this is there is no difference between a goblin and an orc. You do notice in the films, when they're in Khazad-dûm, there's some arrows are fired and Legolas grabs one. He looks at it and he goes, goblins! <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> and to, in my mind, goblins 
are always a little bit different to orcs. But this is apparently, according to Tolkien, it's not true. But in my mind, they always are. The goblins are sort of more the kind of like, they, 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 they sort of roam in packs in the dark. They've got the wider eyes. I mean, Tolkien probably thought they were just like, well, these are just the orcs which have been living underground. You know, so their eyes have become wider and they sort of roam in these uh, sort of giant masses whilst the orcs are a bit more organised outside. Um, organised. <laughs> organised. Oh, God. <laughs> Shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed. Um, <laughs> but if you are curious, no difference. Okay. Now, a couple of things of that. So that means then every single card we'll ever see, which is a goblin or an orc, will always say goblin and orc on it. Uh, probably not. No. Yeah, and of course we should always go by the letter of the law of the game that if there's a card which affects a card type goblin or a card type orc, you should only go by the written word. Of course, do not take, do not go by Tolkien's word. <laughs> okay, point number two, and this is from the film, and like I said before, it's been a long time since I read the book, yeah. so it's not fresh in my mind. I'm sure when they talk about the Urukai, yeah, they say that. Saruman has been breeding orcs with goblin men. So is there something about goblins being like some form of man-orc thing? Yeah, but then... Man-goblin, But the weird weird thing is, as I sort of alluded to earlier, that whole breeding of the Uruk-hai is... I was going to say is fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, this is made up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but that that unless I just skipped over it somehow, perhaps it was deep in a song, is not in the books at all. The Orakai are just a race of fearsome war orcs. Walks. Yeah, they're like. mentioned in the books, Urukai. Oh the Urukai are walks. in the books. <laughs> they're organized walks. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, we think Tolkien was good at language. Hey. <laughs> we don't <laughs> <laughs> Sit up and take notice. Yeah, the, the, obviously, yeah, Urukai are definitely in the books. Yeah, for sure, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, but the, exactly. they are not. They're just orcs. Yeah, but they're hard orcs. But they're not bred out of pods like they are in uh, in the films. Pods, porks, <laughs> porks, <laughs> salted porks, um, organized uh, porks. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's. Uh, okay, so. Let's come back to the goblin stroke orc argument. The first, let's do this. Let's make this promise. The first time we come across a card, subsequent card, yes, uh, in a future quest or whatever, where it has either goblin or orc, but not both. Yeah, let's readdress it at that point. Well, I don't think, and then that gives a yeah, chance to. That's fine. Find I out think chances are. I mean, I, I don't know this at all as a fact, but I think chances are most of the orcs that are. Inside Khazad-dûm and inside mines and inside mountainous places will probably be referred to as goblins. Right. I think because... And that's mostly a hang-up from how they're described in The Hobbit, I think. Right, yeah. The Goblin King. The Goblin King, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. David Bowie. David Bowie. (laughs) Now, now that is a great character. Bowie's Goblin King. Yeah. So, I, when I was a kid, I remember watching... Labyrinth, and absolutely loving it. It's a masterpiece. Just loved it. A masterpiece. 
And I love it. Oh, it's great. And I actually saw that a year or so ago. Um, Is it no longer a masterpiece? It's great. Okay. It's it's really, it's actually a really clever story. It is. Goblin King, (laughs) expertly played by Bowie. And I've always really loved that song. Dance magic dance. Yeah, yeah, it's a tune. That's a great tune. (laughs) It's really, it's such a happy, catchy tune. I really like it. I love that synth. That synth on it is great. It's, It's a... Just a very 1984-ish, 1985-ish kind of tune. <laughs> it's good. Um, a friend of mine was a massive, massive Bowie fan. And he got really upset. He phoned me up. I hadn't spoken to him for like two years. <laughs> and he phoned me up. And he, he said, they've just re-released all of Bowie's albums. You know, it was one of these big remasters, you know, because the mastering wasn't uh, good the first time around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apparently, yeah. And they'd re-released everything. And he goes, they've missed out Labyrinth. <laughs> the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. He was really upset. He was about very it. upset. They skipped over it. He was fuming. <laughs> he was very angry. I demand justice for Labyrinth. Bowie's Labyrinth. Yeah, I guess the man himself wasn't too bothered. <laughs> Uh, you can skip that one. <laughs> he did quite a bit of film. Well, I say quite a bit. He did a few films which he did songs for, didn't he? The one I always really loved from that era was um, This Is Not America. Oh, yeah. The Falcon and the Snow. I love that tune. Oh. But have you ever heard the original tune? It's called Chris, which is the one of the characters from the film, yeah. The Falcon and the Snow, which is a really good film, actually, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen that. Um, but it's by Pat Metheny, who's an unbelievable guitar player and it was he i can't remember the name of the guy he's collaborate with a keyboard player and together they wrote an instrumental version an instrumental tune and there's a 12 inch version of it which is really impossible to get your hands on but there is a youtube clip of it if you like that music check out the 12 inch of a song called chris by pat Metheny from falcon and the snowman Sure, you all remember that, um, and it's it's amazing. I, I, that's, I, I, it's that kind of ethereal eighties kind of synthy, kind of dreamy kind of thing. Yeah. Really hypnotic, fantastic stuff. That's one of my favorite tunes, and it's just amazing to hear that, and then think, well, Bowie came along. I thought, right, okay, we've got to put a melody and some vocals over this, and bring it down to like a three minute pop song. Yeah. And he just does it, obviously, effortlessly. And it's incredible to hear both of those. Think, wow, you went from that to, you know, this is not America. I mean, Fantastic. Amazing. You say he does it effortlessly. I mean, we don't know what went behind the scenes. Maybe he was it doing, took him hours. Yeah, working on it for six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, you're, you're quite right. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing to say, isn't it? I've fallen into the trap. And people say it all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's not effortless. People probably get really annoyed if you say it. It's not effortless. It took me blooming ages. I worked my whole life to be able to do things like yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Effortlessly, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway. Right, so, so goblins are orcs. Orcs are goblins. But when it comes to this game, they have... Do what it says on the card. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, so shall we talk about the rest of 1B? Oh my God, we're not even at the end of 1B. So, okay, no. well, <laughs> it's just for locations, isn't it? So, 
you know, so find out first from the east gate, it takes seven to get through. Yeah. It's a fair bit. Yeah. Um, so you can't optionally engage enemies, no engage for checks made. So you could end up in a situation if you're getting enemies drawn out, they're just going to be building up in a staging area. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. something to look out for. Yeah. So you've got to quest hard and fast if you can with this. Well, it depends. <laughs> you might be ready to quest, but not ready to fight as well. You ah. might need to build yourself up to fight. I found myself in that situation a couple of times. I think it depends on which deck you've taken. The deck which I beat this quest with this time round yeah. was more, yeah, just quest through it because you're probably going to be okay fighting. It's kind of dwarfy based kind of thing. But yeah, some players, it might suit them to stay on that card a little bit to build themselves up. But um, when you do get through it, obviously that goes to your victory display. So not back into the encounter deck. And the effect was... As Eastgate leaves play as an explored location, add First Hall to the staging area. And First Hall has a threat of two and more fantastic artwork. Yeah. Um, you only need two to get through this, and it's an underground location. Mm-hmm. And to travel there, it says travel, each player must raise his threat by three to travel here. So that's a big hit you take on the, on, on the threat. There. I see, but that's why I say race through that first card, keep your threat down nice and low, get there, get your threat up, no problem, get in. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, uh, yeah, I think that's the, probably the best way, isn't it? Just leg it. Leg <laughs> yeah. it through, Warrior. Well, we say, but, but it's interesting what happens later too. So, um, but yeah, we'll come to it. So Forced, after first all, leaves play as an explored location. Guess what? Add Bridge of Khazad Doom to the staging area. And it's, again, this one goes into the victory display. So yeah. this one's, you know, not hard, too hard to get through. It's only got two... Um, uh, um, progress. It's only got two progress tokens needed. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it shouldn't present too much of a challenge. Uh, it's interesting to note, though, it's an underground location. It's not a dark location. So no. you can't use your cave torch to get around it and not raise your threat by three. So just bear that in mind as well. Yeah, I, okay, I, yeah. I made that mistake one time playing this. I was starting to use the cave torch to get through locations and I wasn't checking they were dark locations. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that was just this week. So even after a year playing this game, I'm still making amateurish, inadvertent cheating mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also bear in mind that as soon as you get to this location... All those enemies that have been building up in the staging area, they can come for you now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And your threat's going to go up by three. <laughs> so your engagement <laughs> likelihood is going to be boosted, too. So, yeah. So well, I, I, I had a situation, actually, on these two cards where I wasn't ready to engage the enemies. Mm. But I was, I got, instead of getting location locked, I got enemy locked. <laughs> I kept getting enemies off your counter deck at a bigger rate than I was able to. And I just lost the game really quickly because I wasn't able to build myself up enough to take the you know, hits off these guys. And they were all going to engage me, basically. But it was getting worse each time because another enemy kept coming out. Until eventually I just had to just go for it and quest through and I just got completely slaughtered by those enemies. And that, that was the end of that. <laughs> oh, well, I've got one, actually. And we'll have to jump to an enemy here. Um so it's a goblin swordsman. Now, this oh, guy... These guys are nasty. All right. So this guy, goblin swordsman, he's an enemy. 
He's got an engagement cost of 20. So obviously he would normally be coming at you straight away, but because of that first location, he's stuck up in the staging area. Um, only contributes one threat, so not too bad, but he hits for three and he has one defense and he has two hit points. Um, he's a goblin and an orc. Um, <laughs> but it states this, goblin swordsman gets plus two attack if this attack is undefended. Okay, so that sounds like, well, just make sure you don't take an undefended attack. But I accidentally overquested on uh, stage 1B and cleared the East Gate. I had two swordsmen up in the staging area. So what happened is I, I didn't have any ready allies or heroes at this stage. I think I only had heroes out. And so these two swordsmen came and I had to take undefended attacks. And that's basically him hitting for five. And of course it's undefended. So that's two dead heroes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that's that um effect of getting the plus two if it's undefended is absolutely brutal. I had um <laughs> I had one where I had quest and I ended up I overquested because I had to. What I had, I had to exhaust another character, I think, but I didn't want to, or I had to discard a character through one of the treachery, something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which meant suddenly I had no one to defend with. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then suddenly that was it. That was the end of that. You can just completely ruin your your um, oh. your strategy there. So yeah, he's a really nasty one, and but just that, even just hitting for free is bad. Yeah, but it's particularly uh, yeah. nasty. And uh, now I believe we will see the Goblin Swordsman again. Now, if you think this through, <laughs> <laughs> what makes you just got an inkling? Just <laughs> well, <laughs> I got a funny feeling we see might this. be seeing this guy again. Yeah, but he has an engagement <laughs> cost of twenty. So, in at least in this quest, you can see him building up in the staging area and be ready for him. If this guy comes out early in a quest. And he just comes for you, and you weren't ready for him, and you've got all your heroes quested, then you're in real trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Love the artwork, by the way. That, to me, is a goblin right there. Oh, he's nasty, isn't he? Yeah, that is not David Bowie. <laughs> no. <laughs> he doesn't look too pleased to see you, in all honesty. <laughs> Crumbs. Yeah. Is that kind of olive coloured skin it's not like olive skins like you know a Mediterranean <laughs> it's like literally like a, an olive <laughs> that's quite goblin-y and more, yeah. more goblin-y than orky yeah. you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. that underground thing yeah exactly you know yeah yeah I agree I come with you alright oh a very nasty shadow effect as well on the goblin swordsman oh god yeah which says add goblin swordsman to the staging area yeah yeah. Why not? Yeah. It's all right. So, you know, you're not getting anything worse happen to you from that card on that particular go. But his mates there to back here. Yeah. Not good. No. Not good. No, no. Okay. So when you get through the first hall, you arrive at the bridge of Kazadum. Fly, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> so bridge of Kazadum uh, has a threat of three and you need three progress to get through it. And it's underground, and it's bridge type as well. Mm. Um, 
While Bridge of Khazad Doom is the active location, players cannot play cards. Mm. So, earlier on, so when we're talking about, and this again comes into play in a later card as well, but when we're talking about trying to whip through as quick as possible, yeah. I mean, if you're confident that you can quest through this in one go, yeah. then you might be okay with what you've currently got. But sometimes you're not quite ready for it. And, you, you know, you can't play cards. You can't... You know, that's it. You've got to just go with what you've got on the table. Yeah. And you can't do any cancellations, anything like that. You can't play any cards whatsoever. So you do have to make sure that you, you're ready to quest through this. Even, you only need three, but, you know, you could get unlucky from the encounters. Yeah. You've got to make sure you've managed your staging area properly and all of that stuff. So need to be a bit careful on that one. Well, what I found with this was by the time I got to that second location, um, the first hall, I probably had a few locations already built up in the staging area. So I probably traveled to one of those before going to Khazad Doom because, of course, Khazad Doom goes to the staging area. It doesn't go immediately become the active location. Yes. Correct. So yeah. you can place it there, read it, and then go, oh, okay, yeah, I better not go there yet. And of course, you could actively not go there even if you don't have a location. You can just wait. Yeah, I had to do that a couple of times. Yeah. I have to just wait to travel there. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most sensible thing to do. Just Because it goes to the staging area, you can already read it. You already know it's coming. So you can just prepare that way. But of course, the longer you wait, the more things are going to come off that encounter deck and uh, give you yeah. grief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so once you do get through Khazad Doom, then you are through the first quest card. So shall we move oh, to... Oh, well, you still have to put seven progress on it, by the way. That's something to oh, remember. Oh, of, of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So actually, it's a fair bit to get through. So you've got seven on the quest card itself. You've got seven on the East Gate, and you've got two on First Hall and three on Khazad Doom. Yeah, yeah. So using my expert mathematics, I think that's 19 Ooh. in total that you need. I did that all in my head, John. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, so, yeah, it's not, that's, that's a fair amount for a first quest yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whilst you're still getting some pretty bad treacheries as well, which we're going to come on to. And, you know, two of the enemies we've already discussed, you know, they're not easy enemies. No. So, it's yeah, it's a bit of a, it's, you know, it's certainly no gimme as a first quest card, sure. I would say. And I've come a cropper of that first quest a couple of times when it hasn't worked out. Um when you do get through uh, that first quest, we move on to quest 2A, which is Goblin Patrol. And it says, The skeletons of dwarves and orcs lie undisturbed, but you have discovered no recent sign of the dwarven colony. The sound of scampering feet travels to your ears and you move in that direction to investigate. There is a patrol of goblins marching in a loose formation through the shadows. <laughs> Keep it loose. Keep it loose. They're not organised. <laughs> this is a goblin rabble. Yes. <laughs> it's a That's what they call out a patrol. Okay, so if you flip the card over and you can see here that you need 11 progress to get through. Ooh. I love the colours of the artwork here. That kind of mysterious kind of green and aqua yeah. blue kind of shades. When revealed, each player must search the encounter deck and discard pile for one enemy of his choice and add it to the staging area. Doesn't sound too bad. Mm -hmm. One choice must be patrol leader, if able. So you're getting a patrol leader. Yeah. If you're playing one player, 
you have to choose the patrol leader. Yeah. That's oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. And the reason why it says if able is I believe there are two copies of patrol leader in the deck and it is possible you'd have to be seriously unlucky, but it's possible that you've already got them <laughs> both. Already, already got both of them. Yeah. Oh, I was trying to figure out how that would be the case. Okay, yeah. so you've drawn them both already. Yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> Shall we, shall we have a look at Patrol Leader? Do you um, want to do the honours? Or, or do you want to wait? To... No, 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 no we, sh- no, we should. But actually, just before we do, because I've got a few little rule nuances for this whole oh, okay. set, and I, rather than doing them all in one hit, I'll just jump into one now. Okay. Um, And this is to do with the fact you have to search the encounter deck or the discard pile for a particular card. And discard pile. Oh, sorry. You have to search the deck and the discard pile for a particular <laughs> card. Um, now, I believe this is the first time that the game states to do this, and it isn't followed by then shuffle the encounter deck. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't shuffle the encounter deck. Basically, from this point forward, shuffling of the encounter deck is implied whenever you have to search for a card. And this was confirmed in the fact it's um I, I've got it here. It's rule clarification one point two one search effects, and it states whenever a player searches through a deck, that player shuffles the deck after searching it, unless a card effect says otherwise. Players do not shuffle or change the order of a discard pile after searching it. Okay, so basically they just got around the fact that they were having to write after all of these searching decks, be it the player deck or the encounter deck, they had kept on having to print, then shuffle the deck. They at one point just went, okay, from this point on, it is just implied. When you search for a card, shuffle the deck. Okay, so how I've played this, yeah, okay, fine. And I think every time, you know, you have to search something out of your own deck or the encounter deck, you would shuffle it. Yeah, yeah I think that obviously makes sense anyway. Yeah. How I've been playing this, I think, hopefully I've been playing this right. So... If I've looked through the discard pile, yeah. Or in fact, let's do it this way. If I look through the encounter deck, yeah. Let's say in this example, I pick out a patrol leader, put them there. I'll then shuffle the encounter deck, yeah. Plop it back, yeah. Okay. If I search for discard pile, yeah. I look through the discard pile, yeah. Take out a patrol leader, yeah. Put him into the staging area, yeah. Put the discard pile back without shuffling it, yeah. And then I leave the encounter deck alone. Yeah. Do not shuffle the encounter no, deck. No, no, no. You haven't searched it. Okay, fine. Good. Okay, we've played it correctly. Yeah. What I've also done is it says search the encounter deck in a discard pile. Yeah. What I'd rather do is if I've got one of these in the discard pile already, I don't want to put that one into play. No. I'd rather get the one out of the encounter Absolutely. deck. Absolutely. Because maybe I've got this guy as a shadow or something already, yeah. and I don't want to bring that one back. No, 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 so, no. Don't give yourself the chance that you're going to get two of them. Yeah, exactly. So what I've always done in this situation is I'll just go, you know, I'll rather check the encounter deck anyway. I would as rather well. Rather than discard pile. 100%. Yeah. You want that card out of anything that might be coming up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, good. So I think I've been playing this correctly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> so, it's, it's a weird one, but the fact is it just doesn't specifically say shuffle the deck. And yeah. you know this game. Normally you have to do what it says explicitly. And and from this point on, it doesn't, but you do. 
So if you have to search your deck or you have to search the encounter deck, shuffle it afterwards. If you search for discard pile or your discard pile, you don't shuffle. Correct. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Nice and simple. Yeah. Good. Phew. Okay. <laughs> All right. So... In fact, should we look at the patrol leader or should we finish reading through the card? Um, okay, well, we know we're getting the patrol leader into the uh, staging area, so let's finish the card and then we'll, we'll hit up the patrol leader. Okay, uh, so that's the when revealed effect. You're getting the patrol leader. Yeah. And obviously each player must reveal an enemy. So if you play multiplayer, you're getting one patrol leader plus however many other players you can I like to just get cards. both patrol leaders, personally. Why are you fancy a chance? <laughs> get rid of them both. Get them out. Get, get rid of them early. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a force then there's a force effect which is after an enemy is revealed from the encounter deck discard it instead of adding it to the staging area so you're only getting the patrol leader if you're playing one player say on this quest card so you, what you want to see when you're questing is you want to see enemies come up because you're just going to put them in discard pile yeah. So yeah, yeah. You, you won't but that's what you're going to want <laughs> Um, and then it says at the bottom, if there are no enemies in play, immediately advance to the next stage of the scenario. Players can also advance by placing 11 progress tokens on Goblin Patrol. So you've got two ways out of this. You can leg it and run away mm -hmm. from these enemies, mm -hmm. which is pretty good. I love that. Or you can just take them out, but then you don't have to run away. You just defeat them. Then you, you can relax. Yeah, I mean, and if you're playing a dwarf deck, most likely you're just going to stand and fight, in my yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, okay, now, I swear we will go on to the patrol leader any second, but actually just hearing the end of to be there, I think I will just jump onto the other rule nuances, because actually there's, there's one thing. If we jump back to the cave torch for a moment... Now, we haven't actually yeah. used the Cave Torch for anything yet. Now, just a reminder, we can exhaust the Cave Torch to put three progress on a dark location if we want to. Um, but when we do do that, we have to take a card from the encounter deck, and if it's an enemy, add it to the staging area. Okay, just as a reminder there. Now, the Cave Torch is an interesting one because... The forced effect of card 2B, which states after an enemy is revealed from the encounter deck, discard it instead of adding it to the staging area, that doesn't break Cave Torch's forced effect. Because Cave Torch states forced after Cave Torch exhausts, discard the top card of the encounter deck. Okay, so that's the first thing you do discard a card from the encounter deck. If that card is an enemy, add it to the staging area. Yeah, so you're not revealing. So it's not being revealed from the encounter. Well, yeah. you're not revealing it for a start. So again, the difference between revealing and adding. Mm -hmm. So you're not revealing it for a start. And also, it's not even coming from the encounter deck. It's coming from the discard pile. You discard a card, and then if that card is an enemy, you add it to the staging area. So if you happen to be using Cave Torch and you do discard an enemy... Stage 2B force effect of not adding enemies is uh, is negated and the enemies yeah. are coming to the staging area. Circumvented, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Uh, 
that that makes sauce. <laughs> mm. It makes sauce. Mm, delicious. Mm. Um, <laughs> it also makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I to be honest, I really I didn't actually notice that, but I never. I don't think I was smart enough to even notice the link between them anyway. <laughs> so I was just adding. I was just adding the enemies to the staging area. Okay. Anyway, so worth adding to this as well. Wrong choice. Worth, <laughs> worth stating as well that when you do the cave torch forced effect, after cave torch exhaust, discard the top card of the encounter deck. If that card is an enemy, add it to the staging area. So back to what we were saying about goblin follower, who has a when revealed effect. When revealed, goblin follower engages the last player. Yeah. Now, if this guy turns up because of your cave torch forced effect, he doesn't engage you. Absolutely. Right? Oh, well and done. this is just coming to my head now. Oh, this, no, this, isn't, this isn't something I've been playing. This is something that's coming oh, to my no, head. No, I'm like... so proud. I, I'm glowing. I'm glowing. <laughs> Listener, you should see the... John's smiling, <laughs> fatherly smile. <laughs> that pride. Um, yeah. So yeah, okay, cool. So uh, that's something, to, but that's exactly the kind of mistake I would absolutely make. Yeah, um, and you forget those simple things. It's really important about adding, revealing yeah. the difference between them. Always read the cards when revealed. You're not revealing it; you're adding it. Yeah. So, so it doesn't engage you, right? Okay, cool. Okay, so that was what you said. There was another uh, nuance as well. Yeah, that I'd have to jump to a treachery. So I think perhaps we'll do that in a second. Well, let's let's, okay. let's talk about this this patrol leader because okay, finally we've mentioned him enough. <laughs> okay, let's look at the patrol leader. So he is a nasty looking character. I mean, look at this guy. Jeez, Louise, he's a brute, a brute of a goblin orc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has an engagement cost of thirty. He has threat of three he hits for four he has a shield of three and he has four hit points oh my golly goodness (laughs) and not only that he has a force effect force before patrol leader is dealt damage discard the top card of the encounter deck if a discarded card is an enemy cancel that damage so one of his patrol has got in the way of your yeah. blow. I l- love the theme of this. Yeah, so good. It's They're amazing. protecting their captain who yeah. doesn't really need yeah. protecting. Like, oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a killer blow on the patrol leader. Oh no, this goblin scout yeah. has got in the way. Oh, love it. So for me, a classic one with this guy is using Gandalf. Well, yeah. So tell me, because I I made a note of this. This is how I also uh, tried to deal with this guy. I well, my deck was made up of Dane, Gloin, and Gimli as my heroes. Okay. So I would try to soup up Gimli. And to be honest, normally, once Patrol Leader turns up, I would hope Gimli was in a sufficient enough state that if he can attack the Patrol Leader, he can take him out. Yeah. But you still got to do that effect, you know. But it also means you're pretty certain to lose a chump blocker or, or really seriously damage somebody else, you know. I only gandalf this guy once and i got lucky yep. and i didn't get an enemy and i did kill him so that was very pleasing <laughs> um did you have the same uh well, experience no, well i i just made a note that i would try and gandalf him either um 
like just bring him in or sneak attacking him in. And basically I was playing the odds <laughs> that I would, right. hopefully I would sneak attack him in or if the patrol leader was already in the staging area, I'd just play Gandalf and obviously try and put that four direct damage straight on him. If it wasn't an enemy, that was a wasted Gandalf effect, <laughs> but then I would already have Gandalf on the table. So then I would pair Gandalf up with another attacker and hopefully, you know, second time's a charm be able to take him out okay. because so now you double Gandalf yeah then. I double Gandalf because Gandalf's got that four attack as well of course um yeah the thing is I was playing this and the first time I played it through I went well this is an ideal card for Shadow of the Past and Shadow of the Past of course allows you to take a card off of the discard pile and put it back onto the encounter deck so of course if you know it's a treachery or a location you just put it there you're guaranteed to put the damage on him. I mean, I saw that. Right. I thought yeah. that through. I didn't change my deck. I just kept gambling. <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't even think to use Shadow of... I, I don't use Shadow of the Past enough. Every, every time it comes up on this podcast or when we go through certain scenarios, we think of things where it'd be really useful. <laughs> and I never go back and put it in. Well, well, neither did I, but I did think about it. <laughs> yes, that's the important thing. <laughs> It's the thought that counts. Yeah, exactly. Did you? Is it? Is that a spirit card? Uh, neutral. So you can put it in any deck. Oh god! Is it really? Is it neutral? Shadow. <laughs> you can put it in any deck. I got no excuse whatsoever. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> oh dear. Um, right. Yeah. So patrol leader. Yeah, he is tough, and you want to be killing him in one go because you don't want his effect to trigger you don't want to be missing hits with him over and over again so you want no. to be trying to kill him in one go but those times where you don't take him out because of his force effect they are painful but like you say if you could sneak attack gandalf in or just play gandalf out and just at least have one shot at maybe just killing him straight off the bat with direct damage you might get lucky and if you're not you've got gandalf on the table and uh he can help with your attack and hopefully you know 50-50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In we go. May luck be a lady tonight. Yeah, but he is nasty. Yeah, you, I mean, once he's... I mean, he hits four, and that free shield can be really horrible. Yeah, as, yeah. As well. I mean, I only had it once where I had to face him before this quest card and then had to face him again. And I, I did win, but uh, yeah, that wasn't very pleasant. No, yeah, he, he can cause big problems. Okay, now shall we move on to the next quest card or did you want to talk um, about it? Well, no, I should just jump to one because I've got one more uh, rule nuance to do with quest card 2B. And in order to talk about that, you need to talk about one of the treacheries. And that treachery is Watchful Eyes. Oh my God, right. Okay, you know how much I really dislike the necromancer's reach <laughs> yes right this is my new necromancer's reach oh fantastic i don't like it <laughs> well and look how nasty is the artwork oh on this, yeah no it's, it's horrendous because it's Jeez. it's obviously it's a an orc or a goblin in the shadows there with his eyes lit up by a little bit of light maybe from your cave red torch. flame yeah, but he yeah. also that's not what you want to be seeing from your cave torch. absolutely not let me just light this bad boy up oh my god um, but it, it always it, it looks very beastly, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's almost like 
It's what Darth Maul should have been. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Watchful Eyes is a treachery, and it states this. When revealed, the first player attaches Watchful Eyes to one of his heroes. Counts as a condition attachment with the text. Limit one per hero. Forced. If attached hero is exhausted at the end of the combat phase, reveal one card from the encounter deck and add it to the staging area. Okay, so basically you're stuck with this treachery attached to you and if you're exhausted at the end of the combat, you're getting an extra card (laughs) out of the encounter deck. So that's basically what it does. Now, I've got a couple of things to say about this treachery, but... Um, just I know what I just realised what one of them is going to be, <laughs> but just quickly the one rules thing I did want to mention in relation to stage two B, and it's to do with the revealing cards, and if they are enemies, they go to the discard pile. Stage two B actually completely nerfs this card, absolutely yeah, completely yeah. wipes it out. So this card states that at the end of the combat phase reveal one card from the encounter deck and add it to the staging area if you reveal an enemy then stage 2b's force effect kicks in and it would be discarded so actually yeah thank you very much stage 2b but it stays on you oh it stays on you so So i put in because it's a you know you know dwarf deck so why wouldn't i i put in the miner of the iron hills of course which is the only ally we have at the moment which allows us to remove condition attachments uh didn't see him once didn't see him once i think i played five times didn't come out oh, of my deck once oh uh, i i did uh <laughs> just before when i had to play him to get some more questing available and on that goes when i got the watchful eyes attachment obviously <laughs> but uh okay uh, but i tell you what i did do though in relation to last week's episode, so I put together a new deck for this, which was Dane uh, Tharlin, our old friend Tharlin. Ah, I love Tharlin. And Biffa. Remember, we both hey. hadn't played Biffa. So, and we talked about last week that we could use the Arable Record Keeper to ready Dane or anyone uh, ah. using the resources from, from Biffa. And Biffa could accept a resource from anyone. So I was actually playing out a tactic we discussed. So I yeah, was <laughs> I was defending with Dane, and Dane had watchful eyes on him. And then if Biffa didn't have a resource, I was moving a resource over from Dane onto Biffa, and then I was exhausting the Arable Record Keeper, uh, spending the resource from Biffa, and readying Dane, therefore, getting around the watchful eyes. How about that? Perfect. Exactly as you should be. <laughs> yeah, I was doing something similar with because um, I had Dane and I had good old Navi's belt, so I was doing something similar there because I always put it on Dane because I thought he's the least likely to be exhausted. Yeah, he'll only be exhausted if I really need to defend or attack with him. Yeah. You know, which is I'm trying not to do either of those things if I can but I did have to defend him sometimes but yeah it was completely reliant on having Navi's belt of course yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the way you're doing it is you can just naturally use uh, variabilities and I guess if you had something like a steward of Gondor on Dane he's going to get you know he's going to be racking up the resource and you can get that straight across to Biffa really easily so yeah I can, yeah I think that's a nice um 
Yeah. Um, nice combo. Well, my heroes were working really nicely. I'm sorry to say without Navi's belt. So like I said, I had Dane, Thalid and Biffa. I had one song of battle and I had three yeah. Rivendell minstrels. So I was more likely not getting a Rivendell minstrel out early, finding the song of battle, putting that on Dane, um, getting the steward of Gondor onto Dane as well. So then Dane was just passing a resource on to Biffa every round. Also yeah. spending... Share the wealth. Sharing the wealth. He was he was he was just throwing it around. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great way to manipulate the resource pools, especially if you've got that situation where you're playing three different spheres. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I had Dane Gloin, who are both leadership, and Gimli, who was uh, the tactics. So were you questing Farlin and getting that yeah. hit on the yeah. always questing Farlin? And of course, Farlin, we love questing with him because he puts that hit on those enemies as they come out. Um, We know that, but he's not a great quester. But now, with Daddy Dane, he's bumped for one, right, Farlin? I was questing with Farlin. Actually, at the beginning, I was questing with uh, Farlin, Biffa, and any other allies I was getting on the table. And actually, (laughs) talking about our advice and not following it, (laughs) I had, so I had three arable record keepers in my uh, in my deck and uh, at one point i had two of them out and you may recall last week i said well whatever you do don't fall into the trap of questing with them <laughs> you know because you might want yeah. to keep them ready to in order to exhaust them to ready a hero or whoever and i was just at the beginning of this just questing with both of them you have to you have to especially at the start i think yeah but do you know what i got another treachery Oh, we are jumping around now. I've got another treachery. That's good. Dark and dreadful. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound good, does it? It is both of those things. <laughs> okay. So, dark and dreadful, a treachery. Simply says, when revealed, deal one damage to each exhausted character. Two damage instead if the active location is a dark location. Well, it didn't matter. One or two, both my horrible record keepers were dead. yeah (laughs) yeah that's a really nasty one yeah there are a couple of horrible treacheries here which can really stitch you up yeah that one can just decimate you if you quested everyone but yep you know and you think no i'm gonna just do it anyway go against my own advice and then that's what happens yeah (laughs) what can you do i had a little chuckle to myself and went oh this is exactly why i said always keep one of them ready yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got a treachery story, but I think I need to come on to quest 3A before I okay, let's tell do it. it. So, so once you've destroyed the patrol leader or you've run away and got 11... Did uh, you ever run away? Got, never. No. Uh, only Mainly because you think the patrol leader's still hanging about and it's just going to eventually decimate you if you don't handle him. Yeah. It's no, more I, from that perspective. I think you have to get rid of him, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure there are ways you you could, you know, if you could... Well, let's have a look at quests. Well, maybe you take a Rohan deck in there, which are super questers, you know, riding their horses. exactly. Riding their horses over the ledges of Moria. (laughs) Excellent horsemen. (laughs) All right. So quest 3A is a way up. And it says, you have captured a member of the patrol and press the wounded goblin for information about the dwarves. It gives a nasty laugh, and with a mouthful of blood spits out, Barlin can be found in the Chamber of Records. It can say no more. 
I can say no more. Is it sworn to secrecy? I can say no more. Or physically unable. I don't know. (laughs) So you flip that over. Freebie, you can see you require 12 progress to get through this. The Chamber of Records is on the 7th level of Moria. The way up is treacherous, and you are accompanied by a sense of unease and vague dread. They are not good travel companions. No. Heroes do not collect resources during the resource phase. Very important. If the yeah. players defeat the stage, they win the game. So you've got a quest for 12. Yeah. Through this card, just got to run it up there and you've got no more resource. You're, you haven't got time for that. You're just sprinting up that passage to the to the light crack of light at the end of it. Which is, I love the theming of yeah. this. Yeah. So yeah. good. It's, it's a real rush. Yeah, it is. <laughs> now, obviously, you need to be questing. You want to be doing it quite quick. You probably shouldn't... If you've got rid of a patrol leader, you probably haven't got any enemies at this point. Well, no, you you almost certainly don't because ha- yeah. one of the stipulations is there are no enemies in uh, in play to move on. Exactly. Well, you might have quested the previous one for 11, is what I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but yeah, exactly. If no you killed the patrol that. leader... Yeah, no one else <laughs> But what you could have, you could have a bunch of locations at this point, potentially. Oh, yeah. And obviously anything that's coming off the encounter deck. So... I think it pays, in my experience of doing this again, I think if you do have dark locations, I think it really pays to use the cave torch to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I did that a lot. So, you know, I hadn't taken a, you know, like a spirit deck when you, yeah. with um, trackers and all the rest of it where you can get rid of, um, get rid of locations by other means. So, yeah, so, so getting to this point, you shouldn't have any enemies. Hopefully, you've used the Cave Torch to get rid of a bunch of dark locations. So, that helps you manage the staging area getting into this last stage. Yeah. And you can just have a concerted effort just to press through it and run away as quick as you can. So, I, I played this a couple of nights ago. And I'd got to this stage on 46. I had 46 threat. <laughs> and... um. <laughs> And I was desperate for Gandalf yeah. to come to come out because I needed this questing. I thought, if I get Gandalf out, yeah. I've basically pretty much done it. Yeah, lower your threat and then quest through. Yeah. So I thought, all just, just, so just survive this round and you'll be fine. Yeah. So I quested. Uh, I kept a couple back in case an enemy came off the deck. And I got a treachery. And the treachery was signs of conflict. Oh, <laughs> You know the ending to this story already. I do. Very simple. Doomed to surge. Mm. Do I need to finish? Do I need to finish the story? I think you do. I'll finish it anyway. So I thought, okay, well, it doesn't matter. I've gone up to 48. 48. Fine. What could go wrong? What's the next card of the deck? No, sorry, a big part. I started with 45 fret, of course. So I went up to 47 with that. And then what did it surge into? Signs of conflict. <laughs> Doom two surge. So I've gone up to forty nine. And as yeah, you know, I haven't got enough. No, without Gandalf, I'm not questing for enough to complete it. This game. So you know you're dead at that point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because even if you get to the end of the round, you're dead. Yeah. So I got some enemy. I killed the enemy. I got to the end of the round, and my threat went up to fifty. Yeah. And I was like, well, how's your luck? What would I've got off my deck next? Gandalf. Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm. Which is sorry, I'm late. Yeah, <laughs> I was delayed. <laughs> My goodness. So yeah, that was so that treachery, 
Uh, and also, I've got a real habit of getting signs of conflict as my first one when you have to reveal oh, on Quest 1A. Yeah, yeah, the amount twice, of times I've had twice. this, <laughs> you just get just start with your threat too higher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have a starting threat of 27 with those three heroes. It's beautifully low. But the number of times it started at 29? <laughs> yeah. my, well, mine's 31, my starting oh, no. threat. I, don't, I should pay more attention to starting threat. And um, starting threat... Well, actually, that's something which is going to be very interesting later on. Um, but I should pay more attention to my starting threat and the number of cards in my, in my deck. There's two oh. things I really haven't... Picked up. I've got a bit better at having my other cards. You but. just reminded me. This is the first time I think since leaving just the core set only decks that I played a non fifty card deck. I thought of you. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. How many were there? Well, I put it together at first, and it was fifty one. And I thought, <laughs> oh, outrageous! And I thought, well, can I try and get rid of one card? And I went, no. What would M do? He would just play it. And just I looked at this 51 and I thought, it's such a horrible number. So I added one more and I made it 52, Why? which is a, is a very oh. nice number. Okay, hold it. So you've gone back to your... I'd completely forgotten about this. Your odd number prejudice. <laughs> well, it's not really a prejudice, more of a bias. <laughs> Same thing. Well, okay. So, more of a bias. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, so but I, I played with fifty-two, uh, and uh, uh, at some point I was thinking, well, this, "This is a lot to shuffle. Who would ever make a deck of cards with fifty-two in? Ridiculous number, unheard of. Yeah, <laughs> unprecedented." Gee, um, I have one last little. Uh, well, it's not really a rule nuance; it's just a fact that stage three B states that you don't claim resources during the resource phase, that does not stop you from using Steward of Gondor. Uh, just you're not allowed to use it during the resource <gasps> phase. Oh, I didn't think of that. So there you go. So I, I had Steward of Gondor. That was, that was as much as I... Well, there was a couple of times where it just didn't come out, unluckily. Yeah. But yeah, that was part of my tactic of having Navi's belt and Steward of Gondor on Dane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could, if you, because so, I think normally what we all do, because it's just easier, is that when you've got Studio Gondor, you just leave it permanently exhausted and every resource phase give that hero three resources. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. And therefore, it's trained you. So yeah. it's just being lazy yeah. and not doing everything as you should do makes you forget things like that, which could help you. Exactly. So actually, yeah, Studio Gondor right. states that you exhaust Studio Gondor and give that hero two resources. So as long as you do that, outside of the resource phase you can keep giving that hero two resources yeah and should that hero have a song or can gift it to biffa or perhaps have navi's belt it means that you could still keep spreading those resources around yep yeah that's that's a great one to know because i i had completely not thought that at all yeah i just thought i i just treated it as part of a resource phase so yeah yeah that's a really good bit of advice Okay, so other than that, have I got anything about stage? I mean, like you say, you do kind of have to rush through it. You did remind me something about the when you said about the cave torch. Oh, yeah, that was it. That you said that if you use the cave torch to get through these dark locations, which I also heartily recommend if you don't have a heavy questing deck, is you just want to clear out these locations as quick as possible by using that cave torch because you're still gambling that you might not get an enemy 
discarded from the encounter deck. So you might not have uh, any negative effects of using it. But one thing to bear in mind is that you can tactically choose when to use that cave torch. Oh, yeah. I always did it after. Well, no, not always. It depends on the card as well. So, yeah. And what happens when you complete that. Exactly. Explore that location. Yeah, yeah. So, so some locations have some adverse effects once they're explored. So you might want to be careful of when you use the cave torch in that respect. But for the vast majority of the time, it's often... Unless, if you have a lot of characters ready that could fight, then it's more beneficial to use the cave torch earlier so that you can deal with any enemies whilst you've got the ready allies. But most of the time you'll be wanting to use the cave torch after the encounter phase so that you are prepared if an enemy comes to the staging area for that next round. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the other scenario was there are certain locations which require more than three progress yeah. to get through. And what I do with those, if I want to clear one out, because you know, some of them have got, you know, I think you've got Lightless Passage, for example, which has got a threat of four sitting in the, in the um, staging area. And you have to exhaust the cave torch to travel there. Ah, yes. So sometimes what I do there is, you know, if you couldn't travel there, because you've got another active location, let's say you're on the first quest card, for example, um, that you'd use for Cave Torch after the travel phase, say, so it's not going to affect you. Uh, but, and then you use it at the start of the next round, so you remove the four threat from the staging area. Yeah. Of um, course, yeah, so the only danger there is if they're using it right at the start of the round is that you might bring an enemy into the staging yeah. area. But yeah, yeah that's, exactly, the, that's yeah. the gamble. Oh, one thing about the Cave Torch, and I know that you know this now, but this does just relate to what we were talking about last week. If you were using the Cave Torch to put progress on an active dark location, any progress that would go on that location would not spill onto the... Yeah quest card and that's i mean that's, that's just, just a general rule yeah and that's just yeah. follows on from what we were saying yeah. saying last week so just to hammer that home that's a good example of that of that not happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we're talking about good cave torch uh <laughs> good cave torch users there were a couple of locations that i was just going to highlight I mean, there weren't anything too troublesome, but there's a couple of heavy threat-based locations. And the one I highlighted was the Zigil, Zigil uh, Mineshaft, which has a threat of five and takes five to explore it. So you don't want it in the staging area, and actually you don't really want it as your active location. Um, it's an underground and dark location. But it has this action. It says action. Oh, this isn't. This is a encounter card with an action on it. Going back to there your you insert. Yeah. So okay. So this is a prime example of a encounter card which has an action, which means that you can choose to manipulate this card or not. So it says action. Raise each player's threat by one to place one progress token on the Zigil Mine Shaft. So what I was doing with this, because it is a threat of five and five to explore, I wasn't traveling there. All I was doing was using the cave torch to put three on it and then just raising my threat by two and clearing out. Every time I saw that, that was my uh, my go-to action on that one. And that's what I would have done if I'd understood this correctly. Ah. (laughs) So another schoolboy error. So again, 
too much assumption and not spending enough time really reading. I spent too much time looking at artwork and not enough time looking at the words. <laughs> oh, but it is beautiful. Amazing. Um, but what I was I was doing with this, exactly what I was saying about the lightless passage, which is, I'd use the cave torch and then use it at the beginning of the next round and get it out of there. Mm. Um, I didn't, I, for some reason in my head, I had this as you could only do like a one per round kind of thing. Ah. For no reason whatsoever. There's no, you know, you can just, as soon as this comes out, you can raise your threat by five and get and rid of it. And it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason you can't. But I didn't, for some reason, that didn't enter my head properly. So it's amazing, after all this time, you know, there are still these basic things which is so easy to get Well, we're wrong. in a whole new set of encounter cards now. I'm expecting this to come up a lot in the next few episodes. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> This is is what I was saying a couple of episodes ago. You know, don't be fooled, anybody. (laughs) But I might sound like I know what I'm talking about. But I might know about a couple of things. But I'm generally, you know, you know nothing. This is a whole new cycle. There's a whole whole world out there. A whole new world. There's a song in that. (laughs) I'll get Bowie on the line. (laughs) He'll do it effortlessly. (laughs) <laughs> um, now, I mean, there are obviously a ton of new encounter cards in this set. In fact, every single encounter card is new to us on this podcast. Um, but we're obviously not going to go through all of them because we're going to see these cards come up again in the subsequent quest. So, uh, so I don't know. Are there more encounter cards that you came across for this specific quest that you thought are worth a mention? I think we actually happened to touch upon the specific ones I wanted to mention. In fact, well, there was only one other treachery which I wanted to mention. Oh, let's see if it's the same one I've highlighted. I've got one card still in front of me, and I'm just curious if it's the Is same one. Is it a one. picture of somebody clinging on by their fingernails? Oh, sorry, I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the one I wanted to mention was Sudden Pitfall. Yeah, well, that's... yeah that's... You did have to... I do have two, but that's the one I had highlighted. Okay. Which is an understated way called a hazard. (laughs) And it says, when revealed, the first player must discard one questing character he controls, if able. This effect cannot be cancelled. They've just fallen down a hole. Yeah. Just looking around this dark place. Boom. See you later. And if you get this early, that's a hero gone. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to mention it was precisely because of that when I lost Gloin, father of Gimli, on the first go of the whole game. So, um, also, what I haven't seen yet, though, actually, no situation you do want to see. I was about to say, oh, I've never seen this come off as the first revealed card oh, on Quest of Our Day. But actually, that was the only time I saw fine. it. That was the only time I saw it. But that's good. I mean, I highlighted it because it's horrendous, but the only time I saw it was during setup. Oh, brilliant. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't do anything. That's exactly what you want. That's absolutely <laughs> what you want. No, the, so I had two cards in front of me. One of them was Sudden Pitfall. And the other one, it's also a hazard. It's a cave-in. And it's a treachery. And it says, when revealed, remove all progress tokens from the current quest card and active location. If cave-in removed no progress tokens, it gains surge. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd happily take a surge. Or I could <laughs> lose all the quest tokens on on my first replay of this game. I lost all the progress on quest card one. 
whilst I think I was still in the first hall, but I still managed to put all my quest tokens onto uh, Quest Card 1. And on the last time I played it, I lost all of my quest tokens on Quest Card 3. <laughs> Lovely. Those are the only two times I saw it, but both times it ruined me. Yeah, that's, I think, yeah, Quest Card 3 is that's not where you want to see no. it because you've probably gone all in for yeah. one big go at yeah. questing. Uh, well, yeah, not cool. <laughs> um, and I actually only have two other things to mention, sort of honorable mentions, uh, because we don't tend to mention these very often. Is there are two particularly nasty shadow effects? Oh, I've got a question. I've, you just reminded me. Go for it. I have to find the card with the shadow effect. <laughs> okay, well, whilst you're finding it. Let me just go over these two because they'll be very quick. So, okay, cool. so I've got two shadow effects. One of them is a shadow on a location we actually haven't talked about yet, but we'll not worry about that. It's a shadow on the Goblin Tunnels, and it states, Shadow, attacking enemy gets plus one attack. Not a problem. Brackets, plus three attack instead if attacking enemy is a goblin. And as previously mentioned... There are lots of goblins. A lot of them attack for a lot. Plus three is another dead hero. Plus another three if it's also an orc. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's particularly unpleasant. Oh, and uh, yeah, and burning low is attacking enemy gets plus two. So basically I was having trouble with attacking enemies getting boosted attacks. So there's some pretty nasty shadows there. So sorry, sir, you had... Well, well, before I come to my questions, but you have a shadow card, which is really nasty, is Sudden Pitfall. That just, you know, you, d- you discard a question character. The shadow effect on that is discard for defending character from play. Oh, wow. Well, I never saw that, thank goodness. So, so yeah. So, if you're defending with, oh, I want to get a couple of hit points on Gimli, beef him up a bit. Oh, that's Gimli gone. Yeah. Or how about <laughs> Dane, your fearless leader who you've put yeah. all the cave torch on. I'll handle Narby's this. Belt. <laughs> I'll handle this defense for you, lads. Oh, fall down a hole. Yeah. No, you've got the Erebor record keeper waiting there going, well, you're going to defend that, I don't. It's all right. I've got the records here. I can get you uh, ready just as soon as you... Where have you gone? (laughs) (laughs) Nasty stuff. But uh, but it's clear what happens there with that. You don't want to see that shadow. Once I've got questions on, uh, patrol leader and lightless passage. Okay. Okay, what shadow on patrol leader says shadow... Cancel all damage dealt to this enemy. Okay. The way I read that is, when the character attacks you, and this gets revealed as a shadow, if that enemy has any damage on it whatsoever, you just remove it. No. It's from that point forward. So, basically... Well, well, is it? Yeah, because it hasn't been... It's... I find that really confusing, the word. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Yeah, I understand it is confusing, but... It's... Can I stop you before you answer? Yeah, go on. And I'll tell you for why. Go on. Because just in case you get mixed up for another, there's lightless passage. Okay, and that shadow says cancel all combat damage dealt to attacking enemy. Yeah. Now that one. Right. Let's deal with these in reverse <laughs> order. Um. So there is a difference between direct damage and combat damage. So. If you if you sneak attack Gandalf in and you do four damage to an enemy, that wouldn't be combat damage. It would be direct damage. 
He hasn't been involved in combat. Okay. All right. Okay. But, All right. Okay. I think I get it. So what confused me about this is it doesn't say remove. It says cancel. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, as long as that shadow card is sitting there revealed yeah. next to the enemy, that effect's constant and in play. Yeah. That's what that means. Yeah. Okay. So basically, okay, fine. So if somebody's got the patrol leader one, says cancel all damage to the enemy. So until the end of the round where you actually get rid of a shadow card. Absolutely. All the way up to that point, any damage that goes on him is cancelled. Yeah. All damage. Yeah. All damage. Whereas if it's for Lightless Passage one, which is cancel all combat damage, which is exactly like you say, yeah. if you attack that enemy, there's no point attacking him because no. it's going to get cancelled but you could still gandalf him or something like that yeah absolutely yeah yeah because that wouldn't technically be combat damage it would be direct damage okay cool because that did confuse me the first time i played for because i saw the patrol leader one first and i just removed all the damage that was on the enemy yeah no you made it harder for yourself so that sort of balance no well he didn't have any damage on him at oh okay but you did it it was fine you did remove it Yeah, there just wasn't any. But I didn't cancel anything. But I did a stick in my head for it. Why does it say cancel? Yeah. And then what the penny that dropped with me, and maybe this will maybe some other listeners would might have gone through this as well, is yeah, it's while that's sitting there yeah. on top of or next to your enemy, it's just a constant effect. Absolutely, cancels. yeah. Once you turn over those shadow cards, that shadow effect is in play until you clean up, basically. Or yeah, the, or the exactly. enemy is destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the way to look at it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that was fun and shambolic. Yeah. <laughs> but it, we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> fun and shambolic. I think that's not just this show, is it? <laughs> um, no, but I actually really enjoyed getting my teeth into this uh, first quest of the new cycle. It was totally thematic. I really enjoyed seeing a whole swathe of new uh, encounter cards. It didn't seem like there were that many different new ones when playing it through. There was a lot of the same enemies coming at me, but uh, that really felt very thematic of going through the Dark of Moria and these goblins being in the shadows there. And I loved using the Cave Torch. I loved the locations. Going back to the beginning of the cast where you mentioned how you liked Quest Card 1, where it really said, right, we're going to have to go through this route. And on the way, you might get a bit lost. You know, there are locations that can sort of send you the wrong way. But I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. My, you know, when I first played this, so I'd um, obviously spent a lot of time playing the core set. And really getting to know those quests. And same thing with the um, with the first cycle. And it was all themed around Mirkwood and forests. And it was... I loved the sense that it was... Re- you, you were just in Lord of the Rings world. You were there. But it just had this real light touches of what the story is. Just enough story... That you could fill all the rest of it in for your imagination. Yeah. And I love that. That's maybe the number one thing I like about this game. And the first time I played the Khazad Doom cycle, generally, I'd say, was, was that I thought it was a bit, well, you've suddenly gone from that into something you really recognize mm-hmm. from Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, it's, 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 you know, I guess um, in terms of mental imagery, one of the strongest bits of the whole book, I'd say. Yeah. Um, 
And part of me was actually a bit looking forward to getting through Kazadun and getting to the cycle, actually. And I don't think I gave it enough time that first time around to really take time and get to know it, which, which you advised me to do, actually. You said, you know, don't just rush through the AP. Well, you said, like, as you always do, do it however you want. You know, it's not to me, but yeah. my advice would be just take your time just like you did with the corset. But I didn't do that. And I kind of just rushed through it. And then I greatly enjoyed the cycle. But we, obviously, we'll talk about the cycle in the future. Coming back to play it now, I've really, really enjoyed this quest, just like you could self. Um, yeah, I love the theming of it. I don't think it does actually tie itself too much to Lord of Rings, say. Um, it, it's just, it's just, yeah, it, it beautifully themed, like you say. It works really well as a quest. And yeah, I must have played this maybe 11 or 12 times before okay. doing this before, you know, over the last maybe three weeks. I really enjoyed it every time. And sometimes I came a cropper quite quickly, like I described earlier. I think a lot of the times I did complete it. So it's not the most difficult quest out there, but it's you know it's, there's it's no gimme at all. I don't think any of them are really, but um, yeah, just really enjoyed it. And uh, the other interesting thing about this quest, I thought, was sometimes you could get kind of stuck, and it could take a while for it to get going. But other times it kind of just flowed really nicely. You really felt like you were racing through Moria, yeah. battling things and running away. And when it worked like that, I think that works just as well. So sometimes you can kind of get lost in the minds and sometimes you're just running through there and each way it just works really well, I think. So, so yeah. So my mind on this just got flipped completely. I've really, really loved playing this. Um, and especially I love playing with, with a dwarf deck and I probably will play it again with the deck I used the first time around to complete it. Yeah. And I've got to give a shout out to two expensive dwarf allies who really helped me. Oh, on this yeah. quest, one of them is Longbeard Orkslayer. Oh yeah, I put him in and took him out. As in, I didn't even start playing. I put him in and I looked at him and I went, "Yeah, how many orcs are there going to be in Khazad Doom?" He'd be, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this guy, so just a reminder, he costs four. It really relies. I had Gloin and Dane, so two leadership heroes, just leadership ally. But you really do need a steward of Gondor to be able to justify. Yeah, because you've got yeah. more than one of these guys in your deck. But he has the response where you put him into play, you deal one damage to every orc enemy in play. That was a really useful... Uh, um, yeah, and see, now you say it out loud, I really should have kept him. Yeah, and and <laughs> the other one, who I used, again, was very reliant on the steward of Gondor. Don't say it. Shall I, shall I not say it? <laughs> it's a dwarf with a pipe, is what I'll say. <laughs> And I've come round on this guy. I'm actually a fan. And I didn't. I even didn't use him when a hero fell. I'd literally just paid for six to get out. I'm going to say it to get out our old chum Brock Iron Fist. Good on you, Brock. Good on you. Good to see you again. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty tough, isn't he? I mean, I've literally never played him, but he is pretty tough, isn't he? But... He quests for two. He hits for two. He's got four hit points. You got Day and Ironfoot out there. This guy's killer. He, hits, he only hits for two. He's hits. rubbish, man. 
Although, I tell you what, I thought what you were going to say is you can't Brock in case you've got a sudden pitfall. Well, well, actually, that was the thinking, to be honest. The thinking was, have Brock there in case one of your heroes falls. But that never, he was never in my hand when I lost a hero. Obviously, that's always the way it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to, I only said that whole thing just so I could mention Brock. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's like, where's this monologue going? Yeah. Oh, to Brock. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I put together a sort of a, a dwarf deck. I mean, I've touched on some of the sort of main components on it earlier, and I don't think I'm going to delve into it now because I think actually I'm going to probably keep this deck as it is going into the next quest. So I think, uh, I mean, that pretty much used a lot of the cards we discussed last week to build a pretty solid trisphere deck. And actually, this I, I will mention that this was the first trisphere deck I've put together since we started doing the podcast. And really, that's all down to Biffa, actually. So just revisiting Biffa last week and realizing that I could get some really nice resource smoothing with Biffa and the Riverdale Minstrel and just one song sort of really allowed me to put together this Trisphere Dwarf deck. And it and it worked really well. I mean, I also think this is not that difficult a quest. I mean, what was it rated at as five? Yeah. It's probably not far off, is it? That's not far off. Yeah, I would say a five is pretty accurate. I mean, I I lost... I actually, I think I played it five times and I think I only lost once. And that was actually through... Well, I was going to say that was actually only due to really bad card draw. But actually, isn't that the nature of the game? (laughs) But for some reason, (laughs) I played something ridiculous like five or six rounds and didn't see a single ally in my hand and it was just eventually i couldn't continue um and i don't think that is a fair representation of my deck i mean that was the only time i mean sometimes go yeah i had four allies in my in my deck and i didn't see a single one you know then again that's uh, (laughs) that's on me then but that's but this time is not the case um so yeah i don't feel the need to sort of dive into the deck at this stage but i would say um I'm looking forward to taking them into the next quest. Yeah, and I'm going to do exactly the same. I think just keep the same deck, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing um, Brock Ironfist again. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear the tales of Brock. <laughs> I want to see this whole deluxe expansion written out yeah. and named The Trials of Brock. Yeah, God, I'm trying my best to, to justify all this. <laughs> I've only got one of him in my deck, by the way. Okay. <laughs> that was justification number one yeah correct (laughs) um all right well this has uh turned into quite i I actually thought this might actually be quite a short i thought uh, initially but then i thought you know what this is the first one of a new deluxe yeah they got a whole got to discuss all of that stuff we've got to talk about all these stuff at the beginning of the insert sheet and all of that so and it's all new cards so i think Yeah. yeah i think the first episode of any deluxe is always going to be a long one i think yeah because it's like the first it's like the first corset yeah absolutely well the only corset yeah (laughs) you know what i mean the first corset (laughs) episode yes yes first quest in the corset that's what i meant (laughs) um okay so we won't hang around much longer so let's wrap this up and go away and play the next quest so unless you have any more to say about this one, I think we'll just uh, we'll wrap it up now. Yep, the next one being the seventh level. Seventh level. Oh, well, that's where we're heading. We're heading to the seventh level. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it said so on quest card 3B. We're heading to the seventh level. That's right. Because <laughs> that's where the Chamber of Records is. 
That's right. Yeah, I've got the Erebor record keeper. There you are, look. We got this thing now. We're nailed. We got it nailed. <laughs> Um, okay, so but if you do want to get in touch with us before then, there are a few ways you can do it. You can get in touch with us directly via email, which is laytotherings at gmail.com. You can contact us on Twitter, which is at laytotherings. And you can contact us on the Board Game Geek thread, which as ever, there will be a link to in the show notes. So with that, all it leaves me to say is thanks once again for listening. Thanks for a brilliant first year. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.